I know it's been a while since we've talked. And I love you guys so much for being here. It's been a tough in-between. We've had a lot of Christmas. We've had a lot of New Year's. And so there's been a little bit of delay. I'd like to dedicate the show to my dad, who today, January 31st, left us. I also want to thank my broken brothers, who, if not for them, I wouldn't have been able to do this show. Welcome to the final entry into the War Journal. My name is Mose. I'm joined here by my absolutely favorite gents in the world right now, and we are going to cap off uh, what has been a wild ride in the Marvel uh, television universe, which it has been the Punisher. And we were joyed to know that there is a season two, but we're going to finish up season one. So. Without further ado, I give you Sean Shibley. In the end, aren't we the true Punisher? <laughs> That's why I gave it to you first, Sean, because I didn't want anybody to take your thunder. Eric Scott. Unlike Micro, I have not been in my bathrobe in a basement for a year. And Jason Johnson? Do y'all think Anvil's hiring? Hmm. And Devin Higgins. Hey, you guys know where I can find a good broom? There's a whole lot of glass here I need to sweep up. Indeed there is. We're all shooting glass and rubbing faces in it? Mm, (laughs) Maybe too soon. Sounds like a party. So, we start with uh, Virtue of the Vicious, which is episode 10, uh, doing something a little different than any of the episodes we've seen. And just before, you know, I want to just kind of mold this conversation a little bit. I know I, it seems like every episode I say, ooh, this three episodes, ah, da, 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 it's, it, it's going to be, it's something else. This three episode arc is really pretty awesome. There, I think there may be some, some issues that I've, I've read a few things online that, you know, especially starting out with this one in particular, they went with kind of a uh, usual suspects kind of crossing timelines and doing a lot of flashbacks. Guys, did it work? Do we have a problem with it? Or was it, you know, just absolutely perfect? Now, I always like when they do like those, like, you know, each perspective of each character, you know, do like, you know, 10 minutes or so of each one and how they show, you know, how each person thought something happened or how they embellished like how things happened, like how Ori was like, you know, the big hero of the whole thing when really he was like the most complete coward uh-huh, <laughs> of all of uh-huh. it. Yeah, that's that's definitely what makes it work for me is that it's not one straight timeline from, from different points of view. It's the character's view and how they see it and what they think they did or what they want you to think they did, which is which is a nice how did it actually work? You know, leaves it up to the the viewer to figure out the actual true outcome. Yeah, I mean, every good TV series almost always has a Rashomon episode, so I figure it's obligatory. Um, I also think that this is kind of the point in like the story where they really had to either be done with Lewis or like elevate him or exalt him somehow to a bigger threat. So I think it kind of handled that pretty nicely. Yeah, I was thinking about this in terms of with everything that they had tried to do over the course of this series in how they did the action scenes and everything else, 
at some point there was an enough experimentation on the part of the writers and and the directors of of each episode that I liked how this fit in because you have a really intense action oriented episode that offers you a chance to get different perspectives and different frames of mind from the characters and see how they perceive the same situation and how they view Frank and how they view Lewis and, and how all that connects. So I like it that it didn't carry over for for subsequent episodes. I think for a one-off, I did like this approach. Yeah, I I didn't get confused at all. Like there was, I mean, there was enough information there, even just visual information of um, subtitling of when, where or when we are. And I, I thought, and I also thought it was um, kind of, you know, when, uh, just before kind of the, the final installment, it gave us something, and this sounds, this, this isn't the right word, but almost kind of a fun episode of here's where everybody's at. We're getting ready to go into the final stretch. and. We have to go ahead and eliminate, I think, Sean, you, you said it correctly, we didn't know what was going to happen to Lewis, and that, that, to- that, that storyline had to conclude or be the, the end-all, be-all, which it really couldn't at that point. And I really thought the way they handled Lewis uh, and his, and his you know, basically ex- exit from the story by blowing himself up, I wasn't quite prepared for, but I thought it was okay um, in the way it was handled. I also thought there was a really um, subtle moment where Frank is talking to him through the door. Um, just to, you know, if, if you've seen the episode, hopefully you have, because why would you be listening to this if you haven't? Though I know there are some um, in the incomparable members that, that don't watch the show but listen to us. So whatever, that, that works for me. Um, but having Frank kind of saying, you can do it, you can do it. And I, I wasn't sure how that, how that played. Cause it, it was like, I'm not going to save you because there's nothing left to save. Yeah, it, it was the way this storyline resolved. Uh, and, and I do agree with Sean that in order to, to focus on the bigger narrative, they did have to wrap up Lewis pretty quick. Because then over the final three episodes, of course, which we're going to get to, they have to centralize that narrative thread on the the big players in it. Um, I did like how, the and again, to your point, most about how this story was structured, there was enough overlap between each version of it that they backtracked enough to keep you understanding where the narrative direction was going, but then also taking it in different directions that the other characters weren't necessarily privy to. Uh, and at the end of it, when you do have Frank there on the other side of the deep freezer door talking with Lewis and trying to, to explain to him, uh, you know, basically taking in and, and, and being almost a father figure to him at that point, even though he knows what is going to happen if he, Lewis carries it out, I think in a way that was the most humane thing that Frank could do for Lewis. And as we see over the next three episodes from here we see frank do a lot of rather inhumane things to the guys he's really really wanting to take out mm-hmm. yeah so some, and, and... something i read once and i can't even remember where i read it but it's always stuck with me is when confronted 
by an overwhelming evil, a, uh, a person either ends up becoming an animal, a demon, or a man. And I kind of see this happening, um, where Lewis has become the animal, uh, Billy event, you know, becomes the demon, and uh, Frank is the quote-unquote man, like the ideal, like, kind of keeps to his own identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, that's it's interesting because we are we give we are given that shot in the very beginning before the opening credits where basically we see uh Lewis getting his anvil uh credentials by you know shooting a guy through the door and then the whole uh little montage scene with him trying to let the birds out of the cage and i mean as overt as that scene is I mean, we're. I mean, we're being told, "Look, I I am in a cage. I want to be free." And however, these birds are comfortable in their cage. I don't. Yeah, they they, they don't know any other way to exist. Yeah, and, and for a lot of people, we we get that familiarity where we are very comfortable in the bubbles that we are in, and trying to step even a toe outside of that. We we immediately just clam up and we're like, no, this is who we are. Yeah, and even in the birds' case, though, if they had flown off, their survival, you know, chance for a, a caged animal to learn to survive, you know, depending on circumstances, probably weren't good. I mean, if they if they had flown off, they'd have most likely not survived. So interesting thought process there. And that's kind of what Frank's saying. You know, you you've gone, you've changed into something that's really not compatible with the world anymore. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he has like a, like a complete disregard for human life at this point. He just kills anybody, whereas he's like all concerned about these birds, which is kind of ironic. Yeah, yeah, and a, a very fractured mind at that. I mean, he he's already been a fractured mind, but this is kind of. I mean, well, this is this is his final push. Yeah, and I will say that that while on in retrospect, I can see what everybody was saying about this needed to get the the Lewis line resolved in this episode, but. It definitely caught me off guard. I was I was expecting that to to drag all the way to the finale and kind of match Frank's growth throughout the series. And so I was I was actually very um, surprised at the ending at how it resolved his his uh, storyline in this episode. And, and so they could have blown it. They they really they they had a chance to really blow it. And like where Lewis is fine, he's now in rehab and doing just great. You know, they didn't they didn't go down that path, which I you know I. You know, I do like redemptive arcs, but I think it's important to see that sometimes there's there's a, there's a point at which you're driven too far. And again, I think you're absolutely right. He turns in, you know, he turns into the monster, and 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 that's all there is to it. Yeah, and unfortunately, you can't always save everybody. There you are. There you are. Uh, one of the other big things on this episode, I think, probably a lot of people got kind of maybe uh, saw as, as a big linchpin was the fact that Karen and Frank have a, a really what seems to carry on for a long time in the elevator, their little moment where, are they going to kiss? But we, yeah. you know, but it becomes more of like, these two are very close. And I just wanted to put this in there because I've been kind of digging around online and I don't know if we talked about it, but this is set in the timeline after Matt Murdock is, quote, dead. Okay. Um, I don't... I don't 
I wouldn't have bought that, especially after his, uh, remember his uh, tirade to Micro after mm-hmm. about how he, he married his wife and his, he is, and that's that, yeah. right? Um, I really got more of a, you know, they have a strong bond, they do love each other, but it's a father-daughter thing. It's not a, it's not a, you know, Frank is a protective of her, but not. Right. I, I thought the scene was excellent. Believe me, I, I didn't want that, there to be anything like that. I just, I mean, there was just, there were so many different emotions, like the, just the, ugh, we just release of like, okay, this part's over. Now I got to get out of here. And, and of course, his arm is roached and he's got a piece of metal stuck in it. Ah. What and what I took from it was is is the same dynamic that I get with Frank and Micro's daughter Leo in that Karen doesn't see the Punisher in the same way that Leo doesn't see Frank. Leo sees Pete. Karen sees Frank, and in that instance, she sees him wounded. He's bleeding. He's vulnerable, and he did everything that has transpired over the preceding forty minutes of of narrative story time. He did for her, and. In that sort of high emotional moment, I can understand where a lesser writer would have said, okay, well, sure, you could have like a CW-style kiss here, but I am, I'm with you guys. I'm very, very, very glad they didn't do that, and I wouldn't go so far as to, to put it as like a father-daughter relationship. I look at more as a brother-sister relationship between the two of them, in that they are very kindred spirits, in that he is obviously very protective of Karen, but I liked very much the fact that there was emotions and understanding and affection, but there was no sappy romance that went along with that angle of it. It was the 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 you could read it in their faces as as easily as possible, and I really appreciated that. So something also we get a little later. I kind of want to talk about this, um, even though the I think the actual dialogue in this in this exchange was pretty bad, but I think it show it gave us another instance of Karen is more than what you've seen. Um, I want to move to where uh, Lewis has Karen. Just talk about that for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and Frank is like talking about her bag, which I think was super awkward, like dialogue-wise. Right. But, I mean, uh, when Karen reaches into her bag, you know, most people would have pulled out the gun, not shot through it into his foot. Yeah... That, that requires that, that a threw, situational that, awareness and yeah. a presence of mind that we saw with Wesley back in Daredevil season one. Yeah, I I, I wasn't ready for that. I thought it was just gonna because it that lined up a lot of things that she had to do. Not only pull that wire out and then with one hand and then have the other hand you know, like wrapped up on her gun. I I yeah, it was it was a little bit much. Yeah, and I don't know if I missed something, but I didn't know where she got the gun from. I, I know they they took the gun from her when she like checked in to meet with the center, but I didn't see her pick up anything after that. She she grabbed a gun off of one of the downed anvil guards as they were trying to get out of the room. Okay. So when Lewis came in and took those guards out, they had their their service weapons. She grabbed one of them as she was trying to leave the room w- with Ori trying to get behind Ori, and Lewis grabbed her. Well, so she or Lori, to get Ori in, threw get her. In, yeah, right. But yeah, I, I, I'm i with Sean. I mean, you can look at it and say that, that that whole scenario of Frank walking her through how to disarm the Claymore uh, or disarm the switch was 
for us being able to look at it objectively and, and and realize it, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, how how could Lewis not pick up on that? But if you think about Lewis's frame of mind in that instance, yeah. he is he is not in a position where he can put two and two together and figure out what Frank is trying to do. And I did like the fact that when Frank is, is talking her through it, he's he you can see him glancing down and she's putting her fingers on the wire and you just see that little twitch of his head. Mm-hmm. It's like, nope, mm-hmm. nope, nope. Okay, now you got it. Yeah, and, I thought that's pretty good. And but, I actually but, buy but, it. And the pacing of that was how I, I really liked the pacing of it to be able to, to, to get to that point. So imagine if you're Lewis, right, in that scenario, and you're panicked and adrenaline's pumping, right? Oh, this is going to be a deep therapy bill this week. (laughs) You're not not, uh, thinking about Karen. You're thinking about Frank. He's the threat in the room. Yeah. All your attention is on Frank, right? Because Lewis doesn't see Karen as a threat. He sees her as a hostage and basically has to, you know, doesn't want to spare any attention on her because, because you know, you've got the Punisher staring you down. Right. Yeah, I, I, and just something that was awkward that I just happened to notice and was just in, like, a, I'm looking at the scene. You know, I've watched this episode, uh, what, four times now? Um, Karen is a lot taller than Lewis. And if you, I, I, I hesitate saying, but if you watch it again, she has to bend down in such an awkward way to to make that work with her, his arm around her neck. Um, you watch watch her knees; it, she is completely buckled. And as someone who's six four, uh, I can tell you that that's not easy to do and and to be acting in a scene without falling over. Yeah, and as somebody who is five nine, I can understand the yeah the the problem of being able to try and get a hold of somebody like that. Especially since she's walking around in shoes that I have a, a, a slight heel to them. Yes. I mean, she's not like she's she's massively tall, but I think it would have been one of those where, it, and in in retrospect, if they had been in a situation like during the blast, if it would have given her a reason to, to like lose her shoes. It probably would have been easier for her, uh, at, at Deborah Ann Wool as an actress, to not have to stoop so much. I'm sure by the time she was done, she probably desperately needed a chiropractic appointment to get straightened out. Yeah. So, so yeah, what you're saying is you really wanted to play out the, the, the die hard angle and have her barefoot? Is that where you're going with that? Every time. If you can go die hard, go for it. Yeah. I mean, it's just these are the practicalities of, you know, telling a story with actors who are physical beings, you know? I mean, right. sometimes I'm, concessions have to be made. Right. Uh, uh, speaking of which, I think we're, we're missing one, one big point, And, like, I, om- I almost overlooked it. Frank is betrayed now yet again. This time, now he knows that Billy did something. Because he almost shoots him right in the head. Which Now, this shot is a magic bullet that just grazes his head. But, wowie zowie. Uh, the fact that and Frank's like, what did you do? And he, he realizes now that, that his, his, his buddy, his comrade in arms, has, has turned on him. And not yeah. just that he knows it, Madani knows it because he's she's standing six feet from Frank when all this happens yep. it's a with a gun drawn on reveal. Russo. Yep. Yeah, and, and look on her face when she realizes, yeah, Billy, you know, killed Stein. Yeah, it was. Yes, I yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, that's right. She because she says you killed Stein, mm-hmm. and his response was, "It was war, Dean, and the only crime in war is to lose." So 
he's already come up with the justifications for why Sam had to die long before they got to that point. And to see the reaction on, on Dina's face when he says that, I mean, you could have ended the series right there and just had her shoot Billy, and it would have been, I mean, there would have been no way that, that anybody would have turned around and said, well, she would have been wrong for doing so because, I mean, that was a really, really cold way to her to Her facial acting it. is something amazing, and especially coming through these next few episodes. Uh, they really do a great job of going ahead and pushing right in on her face. And she does some great subtleties on the things that are known and the things that are revealed because she doesn't yet know uh, certain parts of, of, of this because Frank is going to testify um, to her as well as Micro. And let's just move, move kind of sort of move the ball a little forward. Uh, we get out of this with a zip line and coming back, we have our micro scenes. Speaking of that zip line, I did love the, do you really think, uh, do you, do you really think Frank would ever walk into a building he doesn't know how to walk off out of? Oh, like, <laughs> it was and- so che- it was kind of cheesy, but I, I, it was like, fine, I'll, I'll accept it. It was cool enough. Yeah, at that point in the episode, you're you're there. It was okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yeah I, I pl- mean, plus, just to backtrack a second, you know, I was thinking like, Marvel and Netflix sure love their hallway and stairwell scenes. Oh, totally. Like, oh, like another geez. another whole you know major pivotal scene in the stairwell, you know, like we had with Daredevil and and the Punisher. You know, it was it's just uh, funny how they, 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 like those little tight confined scenes. Uh, yeah, let's talk about the little Die Hard scene, little rapage of the. Uh, of the fire hose and just falling down like who knows how many <laughs> right. stairs. Yeah, and that never ends well. You know? No. Yeah, that probably no. blew his shoulder out right there too. Yeah, I but think at, so. at the same time, he could have done a Jason Bourne and taken one of the guys he shot, thrown him over the railing, and ridden him all the way down to the bottom. <laughs> yeah, and then, then then land on him and walk away. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, <laughs> and if we can, I want to go back a little bit further in this episode just to Karen's conversation with Ori. Because with all the, I mean, yeah, obviously the focus of all this is with Lewis and with um, all the action with, between them and Frank and, and uh, the eventuality of resolving Lewis's storyline. But one of the things I really did like was they did take some time to expand on the conversation that started in the radio studio with Karen and Sandra Ori and how... It was a li- a bit more informal this time with uh you know just the two of them in the hotel suite, but you have Karen justifying to Ori why it is that she has a gun in her purse in the first place, even though she's not able to bring it in because Russo mm. had established that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But especially given everything that has happened in the last calendar year in terms of you know Me Too and and all the allegations of of, of things that have impacted women across the board. When the first thing she says to Ori is living in the city is dangerous, especially as a woman. And then Ori's trying to to rationalize his own rhetoric. And she's like, rhetoric in real lives are worlds apart. Wow. And you, and yeah. you need to understand that. And yeah, but he's got armed guards, so he doesn't need to understand it. So. Yeah, and I love the fact that, that she was trying to explain to him. She's like, well, that's what the police are for. And she's like, okay, but you have... Why do you have your own private security detail standing 20 feet from us? 
And I did like I, the fact that they were throwing down a counterpoint. You know, we, you, you know, this show is based around weapons. I mean, let's just, I mean, I say based around, and I don't really, I don't mean that as like, oh, it's just gunplay after gunplay, but it does give a counterpoint, um, at least in, in, in narratively that this guy is, you know, I don't want, uh, the bad people to have all the guns, you know, and so it, it, I, I just appreciate that there is that counterpoint, whether or not it's, you know, it's 50-50 all the way down the line. Eh, who needs? I, I don't. I don't. I don't think that's necessary. I don't think we have to make it so marginalized and so middle of the road and and washed down. But at least we get a um, this character who's giving a counterpoint to having having weapons. And I actually yeah. did like his his. I'm not trying to take certain guns from all people. I'm trying to take all guns from certain people. Right. Which, which is, I mean. Doesn't sound too unreasonable, you know what I mean? Just in that context. No, but and I hear this in a lot of, and and not just in arguments that go with, um, you know, go towards guns or or all that stuff. But there's always the the fallacy of of um, false equivalencies where she's explaining to uh, where Karen tells him that guns are just tools, right, Senator? And that can't be the only place that the problem lies with. And Ori agrees with her, but comes back with, yeah, but you can't give a six year old a chainsaw. Nobody's saying that. You're bringing something that is not equivalent into the argument to fit, again, your own rhetoric. Uh-huh. And, and we see this over and over and over again. I mean, I mean, I've heard this, especially when it comes to things like guns, about how, well, then that means we can't give anybody forks. Because I read in the paper the other day that somebody stabbed a guy with a fork. So that means forks are just as dangerous. No, they're not. Yep, and, false and academy. Like, yeah, false and, I do, and I do like the fact that, that Karen cuts through all that. That she looks at that and is like, no, we we can't keep having that same stupid argument. Yeah, it's one of the seven cardinal logical flaws, false dichotomy. Mm-hmm, totally. Well, and then the universal fallacies of all or nothing. It's like, mm, well, that doesn't always work. Right. And I, I, I appreciate the fact that the writers were willing to go there with their characters and say, let's, let's try and make this as three-dimensional a discussion as possible. Even though we know that's going to piss off the people who are see this in a one dimensional way, either for or against, pro or con, whatever, and and I'm not here to discuss your politics on it. But in order to to make a three dimensional story, you have to have characters who can do that sort of three dimensional logical leap. And uh, I, I I really did appreciate the fact that we got that even for a small bit in this in this uh, episode. Yeah, I, you know. Go just let me let me make a, a sidebar comment, and I'm not gonna, and I won't get political either. But I know that there is this weird. I mean, I've seen it online. I've seen it in in different echo chambers. Um, you know this this idea of like, mm, well, the punish is not for me. I mean, that's that's just really just that it it just it's just a one sided, lopsided, you know, blood porn, garbage, gun fest. And it's just like I I wish I could just you know. Get people to say, okay, look, I like that first episode. It's rough, and I, 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 I understand. I understand where you're at, but if you would allow yourself, I mean, just the, the, I mean, you'll watch Game of Thrones. I mean, that has heads splitting open for Pete's sake. But there's rich story as you move on through it, and I think it's so worth people's time to watch this one. I, I, I just, I'm. It makes me sick that it just it becomes a very Oh, nope. Can't do the Punisher. He's not even a hero. 
Yeah, and I totally agree. And the show is telling you this itself. It was like episode one or two, where they kind of are making fun of the super, super right-wing gun nut. Yeah. I mean, I, they do that. I, the show has to do that to say this is not what we are. Like, look, we get that. That's stupid, too. Right. I, you know, it just, it, it's, it's, it's a hard pill for me to swallow, especially in these strange days. And it's like everybody wants to either, you know, be extreme on both sides. And, and this show, as extreme as it is, gives, I think, gives some really good relevant answers or at least thought-provoking questions that, that I think you can take with you and, and have a good conversation about. Well, and, and it dares to go there. I mean, yes. it, it, a lesser show would turn around and say, oh, no, well, we can't, we can't do that because it's too, it's too hot button. It's too much into the zeitgeist. And it's like, well, and, and that's, that's always been Marvel's bread and butter in their comics since the early 60s of let's take these points where we're at and build characters around them and, just, and, and co- try and create a dialogue that either allegorically or directly addresses these issues i mean you look at the you look at the x-men you look at the punisher you look at all the way through and that's how marvel has has done it for 50 years now and here's most to your point this is kind of what annoys me if you replace all the guns with swords and throw a dragon or two in there no one would have a complaint no i again i you know hbo would have picked it up that's right (laughs) it one one becomes heralded and the other one becomes oh this is this is bottom of the barrel uh, frat house, you know, machismo, and it's like it's not. Just, just stop. Just stop and watch. And as I've been saying all the time, uh, what what bothers me, like there are sh- things that are blood porn, and they present the violence as titillating, as like interesting, right? As uh, you know something that should excite you. And in this show, they show violence as this evil, awful, horrible, visceral thing, right? They're in no way trying to glorify the violence. They are showing that this is what happens when you shoot someone and it is not pretty. Right. Uh, should we get to... I, I, again, these opening intros to episodes are very exciting for me. And I hadn't, I hadn't heard this song. And every once in a while, you know, you get... I, I really like when, when, when music, a certain type of music is put into, um, into a scene. And this Marilyn Manson tune, I wasn't aware of. And I, something, the, the Devil of Los Angeles, I can't remember what the name of the song is. But um, we're opening up with Frank um, by a steel drum. And basically, his worldview has been shaken yet again. All, you know... Billy has turned on him, and he didn't realize that. And he realized that this has gotten way more complex. Um, and he's kind of going into, well, I mean, this is Frank now. Now there's no more Pete. There's no, the world knows about him, and he's got to make, um, I say, make amends. But basically, it's like a lot of people are going to have to die, and I have to kill my kill one of my best friends. I'm going to watch. And 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 especially in 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 he says this a couple times in these uh, episodes, uh, you know, Russo, I'm gonna watch you die, and that's that that's your friend that you're saying that to. I but that whole when the sun's coming up and it's just amazing, and we're also starting to get into these um, little vignettes of Frank and Maria, which I think is very interesting, and I think it's a good setup. Like this last episode with the the passage of time, 
that we we kind of have a palette ready to accept when Frank kind of dives into his uh, unconscious mind uh, when he's getting beat um, and kind of having these these great moments um, like his wedding day and, and things of that nature and you know when it just I, I was I was really moved by it like this the, there's there's Frank and then you kind of see inside Frank which we don't ever get 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 a hold of yeah it, with the transition coming out of it I think especially coming from all the heaviness and all the the brutality of episode 11 or episode 10 coming into this one we all kind of need to stop and take a breath for a second and I think the way this intro was done of just Frank just sitting there by the steel drum fire, he's wrapped in a blanket, and, and the world is going by, and he's trying to process all of that. Um, I think for us as an audience, I think that that came as a good time because it was one of those where now we can kind of reset and figure out how the final three episodes are going to pan out. Uh, and now we get a really good introduction into what Frank's state of mind is now especially from where he started, where, again, we remember in episode one, all of he, he was having uh, the, yeah. the constant flashbacks well, uh, and trying let's to see. back to well, Maria now the, and that the, the Liebermans know leading up to what's going on. Uh, what and this kind park. of sparks uh, And now you've side got Russo plot. interspersed in um, that, and that, the, the and weight it, I, of I the betrayal really that weird, Russo's put on him. But understandable uh, that Leo yeah, I, I, doesn't necessarily uh, want to call Frank I didn't mind that one bit. Or wants to call Pete Frank. Right. She's she's she kind of was connected to Pete, and I that that whole system uh, of 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 change I, I I felt for like this guy that I really kind of was seeing as like a surrogate father or a friend a good friend of the family is not who I thought it was. Well, but I think she gets you know as you see later on she she still refers to him as Pete, and she really never mm-hmm. gets to the point where he's. Frank to her. I mean, even when she meets yeah. Frank, he's still Pete. You know, yeah. Pete's the personality type that she has latched onto. And Pete's the person Frank wants her to see. I mean, right? Like, I think that y'all. Oh, that's a great way of of seeing it. Yeah, yeah. Because I think I don't know if it was eleven or twelve where you know where, where when when they rescue her or whatever, and she's like, you know, he's like, you know, call me Frank. He's like, I don't think I like Frank, and or Frank's like, yeah, me either, or something like that. <laughs> Frank's yeah, fear. yeah, that's kind of a that's a, you you could pass that over that little that little exchange and not say ooh that's interesting that Frank even doesn't necessarily like who Frank is. Yeah, and speaking of the Liebermans, uh, you've got uh, Zach's hold, reaction. Hold on, guys, as well. a second. Did you see? I think, I think we lost Dave. Devin. Oh, did he? No. Did he? I'm, oh. I'm here. For some reason, it completely, like, Skype had a total brain fart on me. It didn't update, but all of a sudden I was there and I was gone. Okay. <laughs> Good. So keep going. I'll, ju- I'll catch you up. Now, 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 the one scene in the house, like, where... Did it seem like maybe, like, Zach might have called in the tip line? Yeah. To, 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 to rat on Frank? Yeah, and that's, that's actually where I was going, was I, I kind of see that as a very... um relatable thing because he had he had just come out of his shell and had just started moving past his dad's betrayal with the help of pete and now he's betrayed he feels by pete and so what's his first reactions you know now he's back to being the old zach that we knew at the beginning of the the season so well and think about what did you what did he see i mean basically the news was saying look frank castle's back and look all the bad stuff he's done 
with, and he's associated with this Lewis character. So, you know, what can you do? No, I think he was just trying to be a good kid at that point. I don't think there was any, like, malice in it. It's the police are saying, if you know this person, call us. And he's a child. Police are the good guys, so. Well, he's also protecting his family, right? I mean, if if, if Pete's that bad of a person, then his family yeah. could be at risk. So, I mean, from Zach's point of view, that is 110% the thing to do. Well, but also, if you look at what happened, what his mom says leading up to that, she wants everybody to just keep their heads down and be quiet. And, and to Zach's perspective, they tried to do that, and his dad was dead as a result of it. Mm. So if if you have somebody who is telling you that we need to do the same thing we've always done, and that cost you your first father figure, and now you're looking at it and you're seeing that as a way to potentially lose your second one, then... Of course, Zach is going to go in the opposite direction and say, no, I'm not having that. So he grabs his phone and that's it. Uh, How about Micro and Frank discussing uh, when Frank comes back to get his uh, repair his arm, which, you know, to be honest with you, this is where things get a little hokey because I, you know, Frank has the healing factor of Wolverine in a sense. (laughs) Uh, I, I don't want to, I don't want to belabor it and, 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 and say, oh, that's not good. He's not hurt. But, uh, but it is a very good scene. Micro is like, you know, we're partners. Let me help you. And I thought, you know, it's just those, it's the, it's the interplay of what's not being said that I really enjoyed, um, about the scene. And then of course it ends up, you know, but you betrayed me. You went to Madani and he said, you know, this is. We, we were going to go to Madani anyway. It had to be done. And so Micro's kind of throwing a little bit more initiative than he has been in this relationship. Yeah, and this is one of those things that they really couldn't have done in the, in the TV show, but in the comic, um, there's always been the subtle implication that Frank made a deal with the devil in Vietnam, and that's why he survives. Ah. Uh. Oh, a little Mephisto action there. Yeah, so like he like I mean, uh it's it's pretty subtle and it's only in the first few issues and it really doesn't come up again, but it just gives him the justification to take all the punishment he can and uh it explains a little uh some of the team ups with Ghost Rider then, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow, I did not know that. So, you know, if we're talking about um powered individuals the Punisher potentially does have a a power, but we're not gonna. Oh, geez, can you imagine if they delved into that at the first episode that he that he made a deal in Afghanistan Afghanistan with uh, with the devil? Oh, no one would watch. Oh, yeah. So that's that's kind of basically as his ba- like he hears this voice talking to him throughout the Vietnam War, kind of tempting him, and as his base is being overrun and literally everyone's going to die, he says. Now or never, you need to say it. And then, as he comes home, he's like, the, the voice talks him one more time, says, you won't remember any of this, but by the way, there's a price to pay. And then that's the last we ever see of that voice. Wow. Okay. Yeah, and I'm with you, Mose. If they had done that from the episode one, I, I think that would have been hokey enough that, that we'd get a lot more blow. I think people would be talking about Punisher in the same way they talk about Iron Fist season one. Yeah, which... Because yeah, with it, that it, degree of... Because the mysticism in, in, in the, the, that side of Iron Fist was so hokey and so poorly constructed for me that, yeah, if they, I don't think that, that 
um, Netflix could have really afforded to have that sort of blowback twice. So I, yeah. I, I'd rather they, that Frank just be a normal guy who's slightly above average when it comes to healing from grievous wounds. Yes. And also, like my headcanon, they've already even said that IGH exists in this world. So. Um, so. Gotcha. Okay. Right. So, like, in human growth hormone is a thing that exists in this world. There is miracle medicine, so. Frank's our magical miracle. Um, well, and the show's no fun if he's in a full body cast for the last episode. I mean, right, right. right. That you're absolutely right. How's it gonna? Yeah, he's got to be able to move around, and do his thing. So we'll just go. Well, because yeah, yeah, there'd be no way for going from twelve with a punctured lung to thirteen, you know, beating up Russo or whatever. He'd be like, you know, in a wheelchair trying to chase him down in, at the right. at the park. You know, it, would, <laughs> it wouldn't work out. Right. Well, and if you even go back to Jessica Jones, to to Sean's point, we do have that kind of enhanced chemistry a little bit more with uh, red pill, red pill, blue pill. Uh, that um, what, whoever the, the square-jawed brick wall was in that one, he was taking. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, that, that narrative thread was already established, what, three seasons ago, or three series ago. Yeah. So, but, it, but getting back to this scene, I did, there was a lot that, that again, and about how there was a lot of unspoken <laughs> communication that's offered here. And we see Frank, and he's still in full Punisher mode, and he is so closed off that... And Micro's not really... He's not really pushing him on it, but he's just like, you know, I'm here, and I can help you out. Let me help you out. And finally, Frank just kind of asked him to help him out, and, and Micro's like, okay, thank you. Thank you for asking me. And, and hey. it kind of gets him to downshift just enough... Yeah. That, but Frank, of course, is still pissed about about Micro, as you said, going to Madani. But the way that that Micro explains it is very matter of fact. Mm-hmm. He doesn't try to embellish it. He doesn't try to justify it. He just says, "Look, you and I agreed to that, and and it was going to happen inevitably. So we did it. Now you can be pissed off at me about the fact that we did it, or and I may have gone behind your back, depending on your point of view, or the fact that it's done." And I'm still standing here, and I'm stitching you up, and we still have a job to do. And and he says this has to end, right, Frank? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 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 clear to him. Like, hey, this is you know, in a storyline way too. Hey, we've got to close this thing off. Yeah, we're at the end game, and for the end game to happen, we need her here. We we have to have that part of this plan done. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a fun little sidetrack to, to take care of Lewis because you know he had to take care of Lewis because he was you know harming people and all, harming Karen or you know his friends. But now it's time to get back to the real thing we're about is you know taking down Rollins, taking down the whole infrastructure, you know ending you know the whole thing once and for all. Right, Micro still needs his life back. Exactly, we do need to have Micro with his family. I mean that's just a fact that we, we we've got to, we've got to get to. Uh, how about the your impressions of Madani and Russo uh, when Russo comes into the office for his uh, little debriefing interview? Yeah, I, I thought she kind of, I don't want to say like lost it, but she was kind of like acting, it seemed like she was acting like irrationally, like, because obviously he and her have this, you know, deeper relationship and it comes up on the video where he's like, you know, just kind of smiling at the camera, you know, basically <clears> saying, you know, hey, we, we had some great sex, you know. And she, she just keeps going. Like, she like she doesn't even care anymore. Uh, I don't know if she's still kind of feeling, I don't, I don't know how long it's been since um, Stein was killed, but she's probably still like grieving over him and just, she was ready to 
basically end her career at his funeral, but she never went. So maybe she's still in that like self-destructive, I'm just going to take these guys down no matter what mode. Yeah, well, yeah, I think, yeah, it almost felt like a misstep. Oh, it absolutely was a misstep, but I definitely agree. She was she was definitely not concerned about her career anymore. She's definitely moved past the my career matters mo- method and into you know doing what's right. I mean, we already saw how despondent she was over Stein's death. I mean, it it affected her deeply, and I and I think we start to really see. I, and there are a couple things that are said, but. Billy's um, uh, arrogance and pride and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Hubris. Um, exactly. That's exactly the word I was looking for. We, 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 he is getting to, we're having the, the super rising action of his fall. And I believe somewhere in here or the last episode when Frank and he are talking, and I think... It's when he's been captured. Frank says something about looking in the mirror. And that's obviously, well, uh, maybe not so obviously, but it's very much uh, a tell of what's about to happen in the finale about looking in mirrors. Right. Well, and if you think about it, with, with where Madani was at the end of episode 10, you know, she's feeling betrayed by Russo too, but in a totally different way to what Frank would. And... When she turns the camera off and you see Billy, he's all smug and he's full of hubris, and she mentions Rollins, you notice how fast Russo's attention shifts. Mm-hmm. Where all of a sudden he goes from being all smiling to, uh-oh, because he didn't know that she knew about him. So his, his ace in the hole has been exposed, and now that makes things more difficult. And you get that real acidic back and forth where, okay, well, now Russo's going to come back with stuff about her dead partners. Madani mentions his mother, and then she comes back to Frank of, okay, well, you want Frank, or I want Frank, and Frank wants you. And who? what's to say that I didn't tell him that you're here? What's to say yep. he's not outside right now? I really hope that suit is bulletproof, and you see that he's he's just as rattled now as she is by the time she walks out of the room. But, yeah, I... I I agree with Sean in that she, at that point, her she was on such an emotional pitch that her, her career be damned. This was this was now extremely personal because now it wasn't just about Sam and it wasn't just about Zubair. It was about her and how Russo played her, just like she had tried to play him to get to Frank. So all of that dirty laundry is coming out on both sides. He also gets the great throwback in there about her bug in the room, which is kind of. A nice throwback at her for her having her office bugged. So, yeah. Uh, and it's weird as we move forward that the only reason Billy is protected is because of Rollins' power. And when Rollins is basically his power is pulled and he is going to be forced to resign, all the chips start falling down, <clears throat> which. Looking at that that scene, it's really not now, but it's a little bit further on, to see Billy realizing, oh, hey, I'm in it for me now because this guy cannot protect me anymore. I'm, I'm, I don't have the same uh, ability as I once did, and I can't move without, um, without implication or rep, uh, repercussions. Yeah, and we see that when um, 
little later in this episode when Rollins tells Russo to go get Frank. And Russo's like, no, I'm not doing that. That's stupid. I'll do it if you come with me. Right. <laughs> uh, you, you want, you want, yeah, it's, it's that whole idea of I'm the, I'm the planner and you're the one who goes through doors. You're the one who, 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 who bleeds. You're the grunt. Yep. Yep. I give you a target. You go shoot. Ugh. But but even prior to that, you have the whole situation where we see Rollins' power structure being undermined, and it all starts out when he meets with Marion in uh, in in New York City. She's there for completely different reasons than he's there, but she starts to realize just how far Rollins' pull goes and, and how he's trying to pull her into it. And I really like that interplay in the, their first conversation they have, which is during the day. And Rollins is there because she tells, he tells her about Frank and that he's a problem and explains what happened with Operation Cerberus. And Marion is, she's not as appalled as she is later on, but the fact that, that she comes back with how she admitted to suffering for panic attacks for, what, I think it was two years. Mm-hmm. And the the reason why she explains that to Rollins is that she basically tells Rollins, you need to stop bullshitting yourself with your self-justification and your Machiavellian principles and just realize how much you completely screwed not just the agency but yourself by doing all this. But how Rollins always ex- – his every answer he's still giving is all we and us. It's, he never isolates himself from the agency. He understands that he's part of the collective whole, even when Marion's looking at him going, Are you, you're out of your damn mind. You know, there is no we, there is no us. You did this on your own. Yeah, and the missing piece that Marion has there is she doesn't realize how much that uh, Rollins has been doing on U.S. soil, right? She didn't know about the right. agents that were killed and all that. So it's still a, a, a foreign issue that that frank's trouble with and and it changes a lot once she realizes the rest of the story that well and there's the potential yeah there's the potential to be able to cover it up you don't need to okay we can probably get through this right because otherwise it it, now now it's her career too is on the line because you know she asked him you know i asked you before you know bill did you have any skeletons in your closet and you said no and you know basically he you know flat out lied to her and now it's you know he, he can take her down too yeah, it's it's a, it's almost like this hubris of legacy. Like, what what will when people talk about me? What will they say? You know, what, what you know? Who 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 was I? What did I do for quote the agency? Mm. And then yeah. all that comes crum- crumbling down. Right, and and when he mentions that he's got a civilian asset who could take Frank out, and that of course is Russo. What he needs in order to do that is he needs access to all the Patriot Act surveillance tech that the CIA, CIA has that can track down him and Micro. Um, and, and he says it's so matter-of-factly, you know, it's been done before. You know, mm-hmm. we do, it's like we do this every Tuesday. We, we, we will do stuff on domestic soil even though we're not allowed to do it. You know, and it all goes back to the whole understanding of when you have these huge bureaucratic agencies of, of immense power like that, like the FBI or the CIA, and they start going against what we all assume that they're designed to do. 
you know, that, that not only ticks people off, it freaks people out to sit there and say, wow, who is, you know, what, what have we, what is this monstrosity we've created in the name of our own security? Quick question. Why does Micro not really approve of the skull and Frank prepping? Well, I guess because it sounds like you know, he's painting a big target on himself rather than being like all black, stealthy. You know, now he's got this big white, you know, skull on his chest and he's just basically like on a suicide mission at this point. You know, he doesn't care anymore. He's going to take down everybody. And if he has to die, you know, he's ready for it. You know, as we saw later when he's, you know, making the choice to be with his wife or not, that, you know, he's basically written himself off. He's just going to take everybody out the hell with whatever happens to him. Um, I think it's micro is at this point probably the only person involved with this that wants Frank to come out of this alive. I'm including Frank in that. Uh-huh. I can see that. Well, and the, the parable that he uses of the slave telling the Roman conqueror, Memento Mori, you know, you're going to die. It doesn't matter how big you are, how strong you are, how many armies you slaughter, you're still going to die because you're still a human being. And even if you tape, you know, spray paint this big white skull on your flak jacket, you're still going to die. It it doesn't make you invincible. It doesn't mean anything other than that gives something, it gives another point for somebody to shoot at. And at that point, Frank doesn't care. He, he's, he, he, is, he knows what he needs to do. He knows what he wants to do. He's got his own personal endgame in mind. And Micro is trying to appeal to his better nature to say, you know, you don't have to do this, but. Yeah, and, and speaking of the suit, I did want to kind of draw a comparison to the reveal, uh, re-reveal, I guess, of the Punisher symbol to uh, the Daredevil uh, costume from season one of Daredevil and how late in the season they actually broke that out. And, uh, um, I think they broke it out the final episode? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's Marvel's MO. I mean, they never break out the costume till the last episode. Well, but yeah, two. but but in this season you or in this show kind of since it's a spin-off, you've actually already had the costume. And so I just and thought it was interesting up. how they yeah. they put it away and did the whole show without it, um, almost the whole show, and then brought it back at the end. So Well, I think it's because in the in Daredevil, it was literally his skull that had been shot. Mm-hmm. Like it was a symbol of his. Oh, that's right. It's like that, a symbol of his victimization yeah. in Darede- in Daredevil, and here it's he's owning it. He's stylized it. He, you know what I mean? It's not something that it's no longer something that was done to him. It's something he's doing to others. Right. right. This, well, this and is if the you go back to outfit. and if you go back to episode one of this season, then then I mean he has the vest at that point, and we see him drop it in a in another steel drum fire. So. Yeah, he does bring it back, and I think he, he realizes he's to the point where it, it's now a necessary evil to have. And, and, yeah. And I think this sequence is really the first time we see 100% Punisher. Like, not mm-hmm. just because he's pulled out the suit, but because he is... Like, I, like the, it's, it's, he's got crystal, crystal clear intentions. Like this is this, his final form, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. The yeah, metamorphosis. He's that, he, yeah. Yeah. He, he's back in that mindset now. Where it's you know I'm, I'm going to punish the guilty. I, I know who the guilty is. Are I'm going after them. So I'm going to look the part. I'm going to you know I, I'm full 
mentally, physically, I'm, I'm there. But what's interesting is, like, you know, he goes to that, to that level. Um, is this the episode where we have... No, it's not, where, where he goes on a, the total rampage. Um, yeah, no, this is. It, this is the one yeah. in, inside, inside their home base? Yes. Yeah, yeah because they, this episode they, 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 ends... they trace the phone back to him, and then he, he, he sets up the whole base as, like, a trap for the guys coming for him. God, right, so just, that because... was incredible. Right, but the yeah. reason we get there is because in this same scene where he's where they're arguing over the vest, Frank notices there's something wrong on the feeds. That there it is. Okay, right. So, so, and and how that turns on a dime. Where two seconds earlier, Micro was the calm, rational one talking to Frank, and now all of a sudden you realize that there's something wrong with the feeds. They rewind it and they see Sarah and Zach get kidnapped. And David flips. Where all of a sudden he's sitting there going, oh my god, what's going on? And, and now Frank immediately becomes the calm, rational one. And basically says, okay, what, let's figure this out. Yeah, and, and well, and then to Mike Rose's benefit, he said, wait, where's Leo? Mm-hmm. And so, but it's amazing because Frank is, is in a, a, a certain direction. He, you know, throws his vest into the van. And they're getting ready to go. And then all of a sudden, on a dime, he's got to make a turn and say, okay, I need to help your family immediately. This is without question. Right. And not only does he need to do it, Micro needs to do it. It's time for Micro to stop hiding. Yep. And, yes. and, and of course, Micro's like, yeah, I'm going, but, but how do I do that? I can't. I've been dead for a year. I need to, you're going to have me make the call? I, I, and he freezes. So it ends up being Frank who calls her up. And, and walks her through it, but with Micro's help. But when they, Micro assumes that Frank is going to go get Leo, and then Frank turns around and says, no, I'm staying here, because think it through. If they, if they came and got your family, they know who you are, which means there's a good chance they know who we are and where we are. You need to step up, and it's time for you to go get your daughter. I will stay here, and when they arrive... I'm going to kill all of them. And that sets up the scene you were talking about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and kill them all he does. And he does it in, this will probably, you know, this will go back to, if you are a naysayer to the Punisher, where he seems to be, there's just heartless, uh, wanton apparatus of violence. I mean, yes, he is the Terminator in this yeah. sequence. Like, and I think that's the only time we see him as just like. No, you're absolutely right. We haven't seen this except from episode one. Yeah, and he goes through all the motions. I mean, you see him setting up his his weapons deployment, setting up IEDs, using the the light bulbs, filling with gunpowder, which, uh, which is definitely one of my grenade. favorite scenes from the whole show. The 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 whole season, or not? Sorry, this and, episode is the is the armament where he just decks out the the lair because that was awesome. But actually, I am kind of you know I'm I'm way into guns. I'm the kid who like read James Guns and committed it to memory. Pay attention to the actual weapon he was using. It's the only time we see him use a shotgun. Uh, yeah, the one when he because he, he grabs the, it from the rafters. Yeah, the shorty. Yeah, I mean that is a weapon that is designed. I mean, that is not a hunting weapon. That is a weapon designed to tear people to pieces. Yeah, that's that's a room sweeper, and and I did like how once you have all that set up, you get that slight break where you go back to the park where Micro goes to meet Leo. 
and she's still asking how Pete's doing. She yeah. still can't call yeah. him Frank with everything that they've seen. And and I and I know, and you guys probably touched on that, where Zach is trying to explain to her that his name's not Pete. And she won't, she doesn't go for it. She still calls him Pete. And then you go right back to the basement and you just get that long, quiet pan through the basement and you see all the dark spots and you see all the crevices and it's dead quiet. And then he drops down and the way you get the light shooting up through the the segmented floor Mm -hmm. and it's just like, okay, now Frank is like, you guys were saying he's absolutely the Punisher and Things are going to get real messy, real fast as the uh, as the Anvil red shirts start walking in. Yeah, and e- even the way that they they framed the light on his face, e- even his face looked like a skull. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was very reminiscent. I remember of, of the of the uh, the old Punisher with um oh you know who I'm talking about the first movie that they did Dolph Lundgren. Yes, where they kind of they didn't have the uh, a skull on him, but they kind of did the makeup in such a way to kind of give him kind of a skull feature. Mm-hmm. But I remember seeing parts of the scene were in the trailer, and when they were using uh, the Metallica one uh, back background music, yeah, and that scene where he's where he's just unloading uh, that saw into the pillar to get that guy, and he's just screaming, ah, just I mean. It's so viscerally foundational and 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 fun. To, it was fun to watch, um, right? But even so, it didn't even start that way. Frank picks off, I think, three guys. Yeah, he's, he's quick and quiet about it. Well, and that, next, yeah, next that snap hangs him and K bars him. Right? He was he was he was upset. He because that's when he starts talking Russo, and because he he wants to get him then because he thinks maybe Russo is in the building. Right. And did you guys I, remember how the firefight actually starts? The the head rolling with the the grenade. Yes, that was awesome. Yeah, here's a grenade in your eye. Um, eyes. I do have to say, I so desperately wish they had used "Welcome to the Jungle" as the background music for this. I, I, they could have gotten away with with a lot of lot of like just rev up moments. Um, you know. I think it would have done a disservice to do, do kind of a a music video uh, violence scene, but I can get there. I would, we could do a super cut of that. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I know that made the right choice. I'm just saying that like, I yes, just, yes. That goes it's... back to the publicity conversation of, of everybody having issues with the Punisher in general. So, right. Yeah. And this is really the, the, when you start seeing, as Sean was saying, when, when he starts pulling that shotgun out and, and you start seeing the, the real effects of when people get hit like that, I mean, he's shooting guys point blank in the head with that thing, and it's visceral and it's ugly. Yeah, there was that uh, one shot where he just literally, it. I mean, you're seeing the whole thing. He's shooting them in the face. I mean, and it was, yeah. It, well, and even, I have to even, admit, I, I, I feel bad for the stunt guys because I don't, I mean, nowadays with what you can do with CGI, I you can't really be sure if that was CGI or not, but if you think about the cost of it. So if they squibbed that, it, in yours, I mean, that's going to hurt. I mean, I, I back in college, I helped some friends out who were doing were doing film projects, and I got squibbed once, and it wasn't anywhere near my face, and that hurt. So, I mean, my my heart goes out to those stunt guys if they actually had to take one for the team doing all that stuff with the with the special effects work because it was ugly. Yeah, I think that would be danger close. Yeah. Um. 
Yeah, I can't see them using a squib that close to someone's eye. Like, I just... Right. So, but then, but then you fast forward to the, once the firefight's over, and what do you get? You get a phone call. Yeah, a very, very, love, yeah, that moment. Yeah, go ahead. I love the, you have my number. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because Frank was supposed to at least let one of the guys live so he could interrogate him and find out where they were keeping everybody, but then he kind of, you know, the one guy didn't know, and then he kind of, there was nobody else left, and he's like, oh, and then he's just sitting there like, oh, not, not despondent, but he's just laying there on the floor. And well, then yeah, the phone call the phone goes off. He didn't well, really well, interrogate the guy either. I mean, it was like two second question. Do you know anything? Yeah. Okay, yeah. good. Thanks. Yeah. No. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, as you guys all know, genocide is the most physically exhausting thing that somebody can do. Well, next to soccer. There we are. <laughs> mm. uh, but and this is also the first time he's talked to uh, Billy since finding out that he that he betrayed him. Yeah, and and it was just a. A very simple conversation. I mean, the, I mean, for all the screaming that Frank had done during the firefight, now he's somewhat spent. So now he's just sitting there amidst all the carnage he created, and Billy's telling him about how you know he, he was disappointed that Billy wasn't there to take him out himself. And Billy comes back with, "Well, I got a staff to handle my dirty work now." I don't. I don't need to be doing all of this. He's like he's a he's a bigger man than Frank is because Frank still gets his hands dirty, and Billy's one step removed from all that. And the line someday, uh, someday, sometime, this is going to come down to you and me. Yeah. Is so yeah, some, such a simple line, but carried so much menace. Well, and he and he bounces out of there and meets up with um, what now? Wait a minute. How did, how does twelve start out now? The, the oh, I know how it starts out because they they've they've gone and met up with Madani uh, at the van with uh, Leo and Micro, but going right. into twelve, it starts out with this with the interview camera, which I really liked these scenes a lot. And again, here is what I was alluding to before with Madani's facial expressions, and I think the acting is superb. When who shot Zubair? I did. Yep, and. She doesn't know what to do with that information, you know. Yeah, do, I mean, you. It's she's just seething, and yeah, she's she already, also shocked. She'd already committed to her in her mind that um, Billy had done it. You know, she 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 was assuming that that was all him, and yeah. to find out it was Frank and he was sitting there across from her was a, a gut check. Yeah, but then she comes back to the decision that really Rollins shot Zubai here. You know, like at the end of the day. Yeah. Right. And we know now at the end of episode 11 that Rollins is out in the cold because we get that final meeting with him and Marion, which was very Mr. Robot style. I know we've been talking about that camera work between, uh, in, in previous episodes, how they were standing in the middle of New York City and you get all that awesome light from, the, from just the skyline behind them. And Rollins is, she tells him about her meeting with Homeland, which we didn't touch on with Madani when Marion goes in and talks with Madani and she gets the lowdown on what Rollins has done in Kandahar. And, and Rollins comes back with how, you know, the, how the agency will be maintained that everything he did, he wants the loyalty from her and he, everything he did was for the, the good of the agency. And he's and the Machiavellian machinations that he has just keep going about how well if this goes public then then 
foreign relations are going to be compromised, but if it stays in-house and he goes free, then everything's going to be, the the public will remain blissfully unaware, i.e. they'll mm-hmm. be just as dumb as they were in thinking none of this ever happened because that's the way we do things. And, and then back at the basement, we have, uh, when Russo's looking everything over, they have the countdown of the video and the countdown. It's like, well, then this is going to become public in like 20 hours. Click, click. Tick tock, tick tock. Yep. yep. And all and all his all he says is when you look at it, it's just shit. And Rollins is hubris in this matter, right? Oh. Because Frank aside, right? Frank aside, right? How long does he live after this? Uh, Rollins. Yeah. Well, he's dead in this episode. No, no. I mean, like, imagine Frank didn't exist. Okay. And just the information. Like, the CIA found out what he had been up to. How long does he live after this? Well, but in his mind, he's indispensable. He's the most important exactly. person there. So, exactly. Right. And, or if anything, and they he's, would have, in a, he's in a black cell somewhere. Yeah, and they would have none of that, right? They would... Well, no one would ever know what happened to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would have been a traffic accident on the way home or something. Right. And, and speaking of potential accidents, I mean, you've got... While the the whole conversation with um, Madani and Frank is going on, you've got Micro and Leo out in the waiting room, wondering what's going on with Sarah and Zach, and and Leo is trying to figure out where her dad's been. You know, and, and and I I can't help every time once they start getting all once the Lieberman start getting reconnected, I keep thinking that I wonder how much Lieberman was able, how much Micro was able to negotiate with the government for therapy bills. Because that family's going to need a ton of it. Um, yeah. I, this is one of my only, again, I, I have very, very little gripes with the way in which the series series has unfolded and, and in diving into episodes. It's very hard for me to nitpick um, in, a, in a strong way. However, this episode in particular gets a little wonky with the amount of back and forth between Micro going to Madani's office, then going then going back to his family, and then back to the office. And there's a lot of this weird kind of... This flip-flopping of, of stories, because, you know, basically Micro's got to go ahead and, and let, let Madani know that Frank is in trouble, because he's going to sacrifice himself. I, I think you're an episode up, but yeah. It, it gets there, right? But I think you're oh, I you're absolutely right because it kind of it kind of crosses over both both of these episodes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. That was a little odd to me. How much like it almost seemed like slightly in kind of we don't have we we could easily do twelve and thirteen together, but we're going to kind of inflate some of these scenes. And don't get me wrong, I really liked. Micro's interaction with his wife and his family, and I think that was really important for him as a narrative piece and as a character piece for him to make that leap and say, "I can't let Frank die. I can't let him do what he thinks he he's gonna he's gonna end up doing." You know, it, there was there were there was there was a weight in their relationship that he may not have wanted or thought was gonna happen when he first met Frank, but they have become allies yeah yeah he and, says it he's yeah you know we, we'll get there you know but he says my friend's gonna die you know do something yeah. it, yeah. and right. seriously 
who in their right mind gives Frank Castle a shot of adrenaline? Oh, geez, how dumb was that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, just let's put some put that in perspective for just a second. So, you know, Billy is having a really interesting conversation with Frank, uh, you know, uh, with the while he's uh, their hostage, essentially. Um, and uh, Rollins wants basically uh, blood and he's going to beat the shit out of Frank uh, for hours. And <clears throat> beautiful. Th- there, there are some subtleties in this that we, we need to unpack. Uh, suffice to say, uh, a little bit of a zip time might have been cut, and then because Rollins' bloodthirst and hubris uh, go- goes so far, he decides that he's going to go ahead and make sure Frank is awake while he takes his eye. Right, but even when when this whole interrogation starts and Frank is in the basement, and it's not Rollins who's standing there, it's Billy who's standing there. And when Billy's trying to, you know, tell him that basically he's done, that that, that he and Rollins aren't going to get caught for what they did, that they're going to be free and clear once Frank's out of the picture, and Frank just looks at him stone cold and just says, you know, do you think I wanted you and Rollins under arrest, locked up? No. And, and he looks at him just and doesn't even blink. Just, no, I'm going to kill you, Bill. Yeah. And, and, I, I, and, and Billy kind of looks at him like, really? And, and, he's, <laughs> and again, back to that hubris of, well, I'm the guy who's standing here, and you're the one who's zip-tied to a chair. And he's so, so arrogant about it. So arrogant. But he still wants to know if Russo had a hand in killing his family. And, and again, it goes back to Billy's arrogance of, because if I'd been there, you'd be in the ground, and he wouldn't have missed. And okay. he told is Rollins Frank that making- he... Is Frank making a decision at that point whether Billy is off the hook or has Billy been on the hook the entire time? Because this is this this exchange was kind of clutch. No, I don't think he's making the decision if Billy is on or off the hook. I think he's figuring out what order on his list. Ah, okay. Yeah, because he's still going to yeah. go down because he knew his family was going to be killed and he didn't warn Frank. He didn't come, you know, it's like back to his, you know, brothers in arm, comrade that they spent you know, all those years with, he's like, nope, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to write his family off. I know. So he's dead as far as Frank's concerned at that point. Well, and yeah, if you take into account just... how much that, that Billy had betrayed him in episode 10, and now it's a question of, well, can I trust anything that he's telling me? You know, Billy says he wasn't there and that he'd have no part of it. Really, Billy, how much of that can I buy? Because all of the credit, all the credentials, and, and all the, the, the goodwill that I've, you've had with me over however many years we've been friends, that's gone. So you can tell but me Billy, whatever you want, and I'm still going to kill you. I think Frank believed him, because Billy had no reason to lie at that point. Mm-hmm. Right, like... Yeah, they are I having mean, a super honest conversation. I mean, it's, it's probably the most real conversation most people are going to have. And remember, Billy actually takes that seriously, because he promises Frank it'll be him, and it'll be... It'll be easy. Yeah. yeah. And when Rollins is beating on Frank, it's like, you know, Russo is uh, really getting upset. Yeah, and you, in fact, you Rollins, Rollins, says, Rollins says, this is not going to be easy. Yeah, you even have a callback to the go out like a soldier line from Lewis, you know, with the Billy telling Frank he needs to go out like a soldier. Yeah, and Frank is very honest with him when he gets that offer. If I can give you an easy death or you can take the hard one. 
and and Frank again. He says, "Do you don't you don't think I don't want it?" Every morning when I wake up, I I want it. So you know, you can shoot me. But the problem is, Frank also knows that Russo can't shoot him because they need him because of what is happening in the background with the computers and the clock. And so one Frank's of the best got- yeah, that 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 line in episode thirteen by Micro echoes what he just said to Billy, and he, and he said Frank is resigned to die. Um, because he's not sure he deserves to live. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I, we just kind of skipped over the whole micro faking his death bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, speaking, yeah. Of, speaking of guys who didn't deserve to live, potentially. That was a really cool exchange. And that whole, again, with Frank and micro talking, Frank saying, look, you know, the way this is going to go down, be cool. Just keep moving, keep moving. And like, I haven't seen my wife in the flesh in a year, and ah, uh, just amazing. And, and, and when they about- do the gasoline thing, and Frank's trying to just say it's just for show, it's just for show, you know. Yeah, and talk about needing therapy. I mean, they had to watch him die a second time, you know. Yep. Because he takes. Yeah, that was the one. And and to your point, most about how these two episodes and how the the narrative bounces back and forth is a bit clunkier here than in episode ten where I thought they did a, a lot better job kind of smoothing out the overlaps. Uh, I, I, I agree with you on that, where this one, there was so much bouncing back and forth between what was happening with Micro and his family and then back to, to Frank and all that stuff, that this part is, is one of those few areas that I can gripe about because I was like, wow, they, they had to cover a lot of ground fast to get this done, and it wasn't quite as smooth as, as other areas in the story, I thought. Yeah, this, this suffers, and... Uh, Okay, this is where I'll, I'll 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 kind of start to get on my my problems with the Marvel the or television universe with with these short runs and not really so short thirteen episodes, but they had to increase the pace a lot and fast to get to the end, and that's where if if I have one like just bugaboo about about this series in general is that they they just pressed the gas um and and got to the end a little bit too quickly and a little too weirdly wrapped up well i would throw this out here at you mose the way that most and the way we grew up with american tv series usually a full season was like 22 to 24 episodes right so if you think about it that way, if they had gotten that sort of allotment from Netflix, think of how much filler they would have had to put in that would have diluted the story down from what we got in the 13. Sure. Now, I, I tend to be more of a fan of, of like British shows where and a season is like for something like Luther, where season one of Luther was six episodes and like season two and season three were four episodes. And they crammed so much into it and cut so much fat off of them. That you don't have that sort of, of of room to be to get sloppy with your narrative. Um, so I think for for what they did for thirteen episodes, yeah, they they did have to. I think they got a little bit lost, which is why I think when they did end the Lewis storyline at ten, I think if maybe if they had done that an episode sooner, that would have given them a little bit more room, a final four episodes to really get this really tight in the way that it could have been really, really exceptional. Yeah. Or they could have just pushed this to 16 and, and slowed it down a little bit. Yeah. They, they try to cram every single plot thread, you know, they all these threads start. It's like, well, we got 
episode and a half to go. All right, wrap them up right now. <laughs> yeah, but even see, like, even you t- say stuff like Defenders uh, and Daredevil season two to an extent. If they're given too many episodes, it, it can it can flounder as well. I mean, they can just get too fli- too fillery. Yeah, but in the meantime, we've got <laughs> the the bounce back between um, with with how Russo uh, and Frank in the basement, and then once Micro gets shot. And then you get that little interchange in the middle where he's where it's Madani at Homeland, and she's talking with the family, and then she goes down to this like a sub basement somewhere, and she's just standing there. And the next thing you know, there's Micro coming out of a bag. That was he, that was strange, but he was like, "Did you have to really do that?" Yeah, <laughs> and and all he wants to do is see his family, and she says the logical thing, which again, I I applaud good logic, and Madani's like. You know, do you, maybe maybe we want to change clothes first. You know, he he he. All he wants to do is to let them know that let let them know, and apparently they do know that he is alive. But you know, all he wants to do is be able to see them because he had just walked by them as they were almost being lit on fire. And yeah. I, I think Sarah's reaction is perfectly normal. She like looks at him, she starts walking yes. towards him, and, and you think, oh, it's gonna be like, oh, huggy, huggy, love. And she's like, you know, what did you do? And she starts beating on him, and like, yep, that's how my wife would treat me too. If yeah, I did that. absolutely. At least he like, didn't show up in the back row, though. So, yeah, right. So, yeah, and going back to uh, Rollins' torture of Frank. Really, when Frank already broke free once and stabbed you in the chest. <laughs> Like, <laughs> maybe we consider your uh, your priorities. Well, I, I will. I will felt give. Like a, like, that felt like a heart shot when he got him, though. I was just like, how are you still alive? Yeah, and then, then he's still like wailing on him with that same arm that's got like a knife sticking out. I'm like, okay, well, whatever. But you know, I guess yeah. he's still hyped, he's he's hyped up too to get his revenge. So. Yeah, yeah, and I did like how they had the return of the of the mess you up mitts. Um, yes. and how and how Frank points out he says you still won't get your hands dirty because he's got to wear the gloves in order to get what he wants yeah he needs a buffer between himself and frank he can't yeah well in in beating the guy and he got he got a special pair just for frank Mm -hmm. i do wonder after what what was it he said after rollins punches him the first time it's like uh it was like you hit like a chump or something yeah you're a bitch yeah you hit like a bitch (laughs) and uh I will give Paul Schultz, the guy who plays Rollins, the I will give him kudos as well. I know we've been talking about how kind of the the subtlety of of most of the other players in this, but when Paul Schultz goes off in, yes. in full Rollins mode yes. and just how he is just the absolute bloodlust. I mean, and of course, his face is coated in it, but how he is he is so into his element at that point. And and the way it was shot from from Frank's obviously distorted point of view because he's getting his skull beat in, um, that I thought was was really visceral and really really unsettling at times because you don't expect to see somebody in that sort of of mindset. I mean, granted, well, it's the Punisher, so we accept that. But when you see somebody who has been so straight and and just cold throughout the whole thing. And then he finally that switch is flipped. His his entire he, worldview has been destroyed. 
He had mm-hmm. he, he no longer has a job. Everything he's worked for has gone to zero. And it's it's Frank's fault. Yeah, and we get that call out mind. because he says he says, you know, he took something from me, you know, and Billy asked him, What did he take? You know, he actually even gets called on it when they get mm-hmm. out of hand. Right. But even if you think about it prior to this point in his in his storyline, I mean if you even think back to, to Cerberus and all that stuff, how much this guy gets off on on using his hands to just beat people into submission. I, I you got to think that there's a, a bit of that that's that's been in his mind the whole time, which was what makes him good at what he does. Yeah. Um, I don't want to put Star Wars inside of inside of the show, but I have to in in regards that if we put Rollins as the Emperor, and I guess uh, Frank is Luke, and Billy is Vader. There's that moment, you know. It, this the, they are they are. It's it's not exactly like that, but with Billy doesn't want Frank to go out on in in a in a dishonorable way, and we have Billy who's doing everything he can in the most subtle of ways to leverage this, and it only it comes to fruition only because Rollins flips out on him. And calls him a grunt. And it basically at that point, Russo's like, you know what? Also, you don't have any power with against me anymore. You're just a man, and we're soldiers, and you're gonna die. And it's it's gonna be very subtle, and you're gonna Frank's gonna kill you, and I'm gonna stand back here and watch it happen. And and then I'll kill Frank and I'll get all scot free and no one will ever have a clue. Right. Yeah, I think he Basically, I don't think it was out of like pity or sympathy for Frank. I think he just realized that Rollins is freaking insane and not and not a uh, and a liability. Well, and not just that, Billy being ever the opportunist. When R- Rollins tells him that basically he took his career away, Billy realizes his last bit of insulation is gone. Yep. So Rollins has no use to him anymore. So yeah, he, and, at that point, I think he's more than happy to let Frank go and, and, and rip him to shreds like he does. So, um, something I think that is also uh, kind of hurting this a little bit is the Source Material comic that this is based on. Um, really, the, in the comic, Rollins was basically a combination of uh, the version of Russo we see and the version of Rollins we see. So he is a CIA operative, but he's also very physical and involved and on the field. And the actual Billy Russo is a different, like a whole different characterization. Yeah, he was a gangster. And so, uh, so kind of having split him into two characters, you kind of, it kind of, the streams get crossed a few times. And I think it kind of comes to a head here. Yeah, I I think so too. I yeah, I I was I wasn't prepared for Billy to to allow Frank off like like and and let him off the chain. Um but I like in my mind I was like are they still kind of friends? Does he have a respect for Frank? Yes and no, but he's also in it to save his own skin. I, yeah. You know, it it was it was it was it was a weird balance. Did it work? I kind of think so, 
but I wasn't prepared for that. I think the answer to that is he has more respect for Frank than he does for Rollins, which is, you know, not necessarily the same as letting Frank off, but not the same as wanting to side with Rollins anymore either. Yeah. Well, and think the situation through after Frank kills Rollins, right? Frank is um, still alive, right? Barely. Barely. So there's a good chance he would die anyway. Um, if Russo shoots Frank, then them basically beating each other to death doesn't work. He has to leave a gun, which means approaching Frank and dropping a gun while he's still breathing. Or approaching Frank with a gun while he's still breathing. Right? Yeah. Um, so I think, given that DHS was coming and he couldn't really, like, we haven't been able to explain how Frank was shot without a third person being present, the best way was just to leave him like that so that they'd just assume there were only two people present and that uh, they beat each other to hell. Right. And if if there is one bone of contention I have with this episode, it, it's that, and it goes back to when you had the scrap between Lewis and Curtis at O'Connor's place and, and Frank shows up and you see just how beat to hell Curtis is. Frank should look 10 times worse. Yeah. Considering he's been beat on and beat on and beat on for, and you see at one point, I think when he gets the first shot, he spits a tooth out. Yeah. And, I mean, and, it does actually take some time for those uh, puffiness things to rise. So no, it does. But if you think about the fact that he's been in that basement for however you know, at least a couple hours, a, a rational passage of time with breaks and everything to have Billy come and talk to him. That yeah, I mean, he he his head should just be puffed up like a cassava melon or something. I mean, I, and I know obviously you've got to keep the star of your show looking as, as nice as John Bernthal can look, but. Uh, at the same, I was like, okay, we saw what they could do with with one small scrap with a guy who's a secondary character. Frank should look a whole hell of a lot worse after he's been wailed on for for that long. But in the meantime, you also have the back and forth between what's actually going on, what's happening to Frank, and what we're seeing in Frank's mind with yes. Maria. Yes. How did and the, I think how, that's how, really how, yeah, important? Yeah. How did this play for everybody? It works. I'm still not the biggest fans of the flashbacks between the two, but I definitely know why, what they were trying to show. So it didn't take me out of it, but it, it wasn't, I wasn't as attached to it as most people probably are. I found yeah, I mean, it I, I, I liked it. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of, it kind of took you out of it sometimes. Where like, you know, when, when Rollins first punches him, then he like falls back into the arms of his wife or whatever. It's kind of like, <laughs> what, oh, what? Oh, what? You know? But I mean, I guess it kind of... I mean, I, I could see it, yeah, kind of playing out like, like Jason said. Like, it, it kind of plays out, but it's kind of like, you know, Frank's there to sacrifice himself to take everybody with him and, you know, so he can go be with his wife. And But ultimately, that's the final choice he has to make is, is he going to, you know, succumb to his injuries, you know, be with his wife, or is he going to, you know, fight back and, you know, really put an end to everything and, and keep on living, you know, force himself to actually, you know, deal with reality and keep living. Well, and we start to wrap into that that thread of... Frank, where are you? You know, he wakes up in bed. Uh, oh, I'm home. Ah, uh, feels great. And and he, his eyes trail off. <clears throat> and and she says, you're not here right now, are you? And then we get that same uh, beat where Frank's, Frank says, you know, in the real world, I'm home. You know, it, it was, I, I see where they were going with it. I, I don't know if it, 
it fired on every cylinder, but I could see the beats and 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 just allowing it to to wash over me. I got I I I was I was I was okay with it. It was a little the music choice was wrong for me. The personally. the one the one important thing I did take from it though or that I thought was was well done was uh when she asked him, you know, you're never really home or over there, you never know where you are and he tells her he's out. You know, you realize that he was that close to being out of the whole thing and getting the the happily ever after life. You know, he was mm-hmm. he was getting mm-hmm. out. He was going to be home. And if if they had left Frank alone, you know, who knows what, you know, of course, who knows what the story would have turned out. We wouldn't have the Punisher. But, you know, it was it was that close to being out and done his half. And and, and that changed. So it, it seems to me Frank doesn't Frank didn't want to be the Punisher. He was put into that situation. And this is where he um, makes that makes that like that mental choice of saying, well, this is what I am now. And it didn't it, it, like and it. I, I guess that's where the, where where narratively that that's where that leads is like, I don't want to be this. I want to be dead. I want my family. You can't have either of those things. And so he's now made the 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 actual decision to, to say, this is who I am and this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. And I mean, from a storytelling perspective, as we've been talking about this, this whole episode, I mean, what we're dealing with is it, what it really comes down to is how well do you deliver on tropes? And, and I know that, that tropes are a, a, not a great thing to, to talk about from a, the standpoint of a writer just because they're to be avoided. But ultimately, you can't avoid them. We're all recycling the same tropes, the same cliches. But if we can do it in a way that our suspension of disbelief can, allows us to accept them, then okay. So when you have a guy who's sitting there getting pummeled by a guy with padded gloves and he's being just beaten to a pulp, the fact that he can go to, in his mind, back to the one thing that makes him happy or the, the, the last time he felt any measure of peace or, or anything, yeah, that's very much a trope. And was it executed perfectly in this one? No, it wasn't. I mean, I agree with you, Mose, in that I think the music was a bit ham-fisted and but the dialogue between him and Maria and how she just wants him to be there and he wants to be there. And obviously he loves his wife, he loves his family, and he, as Jason alluded to, is that close. And when she asks him what he wants to do, he's like, well, I want to go to the, you know, see the painted ponies, eat some crappy food, and, and just kind of get used to this being my life now. Knowing that when they go do that, that's what's going to set him on the road to being the Punisher because that's where they die. And for me, it was, it, it was one where I could accept it. It wasn't perfect, but I, I'm long past the point where I'm expecting to find perfection in any sort of, of story that I get into, be it TV, movies, or otherwise, because our expectations are all going to be so different and so varied. Yeah. I totally agree. I totally agree. But I, I did like the point where when he tells Maria the the last thing he says that I'm home and that's when he breaks free and that's when he goes back into full Punisher mode and that's when he kills Rollins. And he doesn't just take him and knife him. He eviscerates him. Yeah. 
and Russo sitting there. And, and the interesting point of where when Rollins was the one who was the aggressor and that was too much for Russo to take. And then Frank gets to, he gets to watch Frank destroy Rollins. And what does Russo say when he's done? God, God damn, damn, Frankie, I love to watch you work. He pulls his eyes out. Yeah, I, I think that's where the line got crossed for me. I mean, okay. I, hate to, I, I, I hate to say yeah. that's the point. I mean, I, I hate to be that kind of person that I, I'm okay with shotgunning people in the face. But when you're, when you're stabbing the guy 15 times, I counted it, 15 times. And then you beat him, I don't know, half a dozen, a dozen times. And then you, like, gouge his eyes out with your thumbs. I'm like, holy Christ. I'm like, yeah. Uh, I thought, yeah. okay, n- now I can see the blood porn idea. But, of course, because that's, you know, next to the end of the, of the series. So that's the last thing you're going to remember is, oh, this film, this, this show is just full of this. But what? really, up until that point, I mean... Yeah, that, that's just where kind of went over that that extra line. Like, I, no. Did Did you notice going- the camera shake when he was just wailing on his face, and it was almost as if the Hulk was punching him in the face. Like the camera was shaking that that um fiercely. Like yeah, it was in 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 tune with the sound effects. You know, like yeah, the bam and the bass. camera shake, bam shake. You know. To be but, fair, going I, back to Moses' original point, Game of Thrones had basically this exact scene in Mountain versus Elbron. I was just going to say that, and, and I was going to ask you that, Eric, because if you've watched that, was your reaction the same in, in that as it was here? Because a lot of my friends who watched Game of Thrones, and I've watched Game of Thrones, so I know exactly what you're talking about, they loved the series right up until that point, and they went, oh my god. I mean, they were so taken aback by it, and understandably so. It is a brutal brutal way to send somebody to their demise um and and yeah i i can i could go along with the idea that yeah maybe they went a bit too far seven or 15 stab wounds beating his face to a bloody mess and then thumbing him through the eye sockets (laughs) i mean i mean at that point you basically could use rollins skull as a misshapen bowling ball Mm -hmm. but Ashtray. Well, and no, I, I guess to your point, no, I mean, I was, I'm, I'm fine with Game of Thrones. I don't know why, if it's because it's sword and sorcery, it's not like real life, but I don't know why I've got that, that total disassociation. But yeah, I mean, I'm fine with, you know, zombies killing people and dragons scorching down, you know, loot trains and whatever. But yeah, I. When it's real people, that, that that's you right. Draw the line because, well, of course, the Marvel, the Marvel universe is our universe. Of course, this is totally yeah. real. Yeah. yeah, Eric, you know they're not real. You know it's not real. They didn't actually do that to the actor. Don't don't yeah. Don't. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. Don't. That's a real method acting there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, and lest we forget the brutal scene, I haven't been watching Walking Dead in quite some time. But the, the, the scene of all scenes when they were coming out, I guess, what was it, season seven? I, or I don't even know. But I finally, I quit the I saw series that, that episode. Yeah, I saw that on YouTube, and I was just like, holy smokes, I cannot even fathom that they just put this out. But, like, but at yeah. that point, a lot of people turned off. That was, they went that step too far. Like, mm-hmm. as if the mountain smashing your head like a grape isn't too far. But that one actually was the point at which people turned off and said, I, I can't do this anymore. Well, and- I mean, I was actually one of those people, but for me, I was like <clears throat> hovering on the series, take it or leave it, like at the beginning of season seven. Right. And I just, when I saw that, I was like, 
It was more because of the character who was removed from the cast. It was like, sure. that was pretty much the only guy I was watching it for. Yeah, yeah. So. spoiler, Glenn's dead. He got his face smushed. I, I to give wanna... you an idea of how brutal that reaction was, I don't watch The Walking Dead. I have never watched a full episode of The Walking Dead, ever, nor am I interested in it. But when that happened, and my Facebook and my Twitter feed erupted, I went and found that clip on YouTube. That's the only part of Walking Dead I have ever or will likely ever watch. And even I was going, damn. I think the big difference between that scene and this scene is Frank has every reason to just be completely bestial. Yes. He's not... It's, yeah. Roland is effectively being mauled by a bear. Yeah, it's it's a just a justified reaction, and and that's where I was trying yeah. to go was that you know, I, this not to not to discount the over the topness of it, but you know this was the guy who ordered the hit. This was the exactly the, the exactly. ultimate cost of his yeah. family, and so in his mind, it probably wasn't enough. But yeah. I would <laughs> argue he did not have a mind at that point. Well, true, he was just a. I mean, seriously, I believe Rollins was effectively mauled by a bear at yeah, that yeah. point. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not trying to say that I didn't like the scene overall. I, I just, I, I thought they went a little too far with, with I mean, they, they, they kind of just like maybe like off camera kind of showed him squeezing and then like cut and then like just have it keep going. But, you know, otherwise, I mean, I, I totally understand where, where Frank was. You know, this was basically the culmination of everything that happened to his, you know, with his family. And, you know, he's, he's going to make this guy suffer to the nth degree, I mean, that, that's fine. So I don't, I, I I don't want to jump ahead, but I'm, re- I'm ready to, to hear your reaction for the, the end fight. So, uh. well, Okay, well, <laughs> I, 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 I had no problem with that. So I, I'm, I'm, totally, I'm, I'm totally screwed up here. I guess. Yeah, well, yeah, wait, 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 wait. I will what? also point out Frank taking Rollins' eye is from the comic. Well, now, what is – okay, I got to know now because you've already said it, so we got to follow this through. So why is it that Billy deserves what he gets? By, and, and so let's just go ahead and say it. Uh, Frank has the fight, the, the, the final crux fight at the, pain, at, the, at the carousel. And Frank basically, with a broken mirror, is basically rubbing his, uh, Billy's face into that mirror, effectively uh, jigsawing him uh, a new face. Eric, you have to defend it. Okay. Well, so I, I think it's because he didn't really see it happening to his face. Okay. It, it, it was his face up against the glass being dragged across it, which, you know, nice sound effects. And, but there wasn't like, you know, a blood trail. There wasn't like blood flying everywhere. It wasn't like, you, you can actually physically see it, whereas you could see like, you know, both of Rollins' eyes get pushed back to the back of his head. You, know. you do have him screaming like a banshee, though, because the pain yeah, is unbelievable. Yeah, so I mean, they, you know, he definitely sold you know the fact that this really hurts. But yeah, it just didn't have that that same kind of to me like the just basically like the the actual realism. You're actually seeing the actual you know cuts to his face. It was all hidden because of just the way you know it had to be. So that and, and, and it's it's because yeah, the pretty and, boy got what he deserved. That too, and not that Rollins didn't deserve that too, but it's just—I guess it's just more—it was more visceral for Rollins than it was for Billy, mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, that was an intentionality to the to Billy's end, as opposed to. And he did live. Um, so. Yeah, but going back to the that the beginning of that episode, I I thought there was a brilliant acting moment—the very beginning of episode thirteen. Okay. Uh, with uh. Uh, Madani's parents, when she brings him to her home, and 
that her dad's a doctor or it's looking after him and her mom is like not wanting him in the house. And then he just looks at her and says, you know, as well as I do, sometimes a criminal is a freedom fighter. Hmm. Yep. And well, like, they both just, it just explained like a backstory to those people that, um, you know, yeah. just kind of gave them a whole world of backstory. That makes me wonder if potentially, let's just talk about the future just slightly, if that could be a plotting for the future. Yeah, I definitely see that as bringing Madani back and expanding on some backstory there. <laughs> I mean, I just think they were in Iran in the 70s, and they saw what happened, and they know. Well, well and even to take it a half step back to the very, very end of 12, where... The, they come in and find Frank, and Russo gets away. And what is Micro doing? He's sitting there trying to make sure Frank's alive, and he's yelling at him, saying, you know, call me this, call me that, you know, and because and, he wants Frank to be alive. And Madonna's like, well, I'll call an ambulance. And, and Micro's like, no, ambulances are cops. So he's gotten it down to understanding how Frank sees things as well as what he sees things. And the question that he asks Madani, I think, was was very telling, where he says, this man is dying for your justice. Why don't you give him some? Yeah. Well, and then well, and it leads back to the, that conversation, and we didn't really touch on this uh, a lot, but um, uh, Micro's debrief with, with Madani. You know, I'm going to do this, but it's not going to go the way you want it to go. I, I'm going to, you know, and, and, and thought about you let me down with just with with I thought you were justice and you and you screwed the pooch you you lost the video and you didn't do what you were supposed to do and you and by chance you actually ruined my family you ruined everything that I that I that I held dear and he tells her you may not be there yet and you're what you won't know justice is but you'll get there yeah oh man that was a great scene Ugh. Mm-hmm. And did anybody else see the irony in having, and I understand for in terms of Madani going to the people that she knew who could help Frank stay alive, but the irony of having people of Arabic nationality helping somebody who'd spent his whole military career killing people who could have been them under different circumstances. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry, you just hit one of my pet peeves. All right, rip it. Persians are not Arab. All right, pet peeve away. Persians are not Arab. Well, it, it, uh, of of okay of, of Middle Eastern nationality, I should say, of, of that of being of that part of the world, How does for that lack rain? of a better term. So, well, because because throughout the whole series, we've had the the narrative of Rollins and the whole point of Cerberus of going into Afghanistan and getting that information and basically doing what they can to win the war in Afghanistan. And there's been this whole narrative here in the last, since 9-11, that has ebbed and flowed about how people from that part of the world are inherently dangerous, evil, terrorist, whatever. But some of them are good. Yeah. And, well, well, and Even before 9-11, remember Iran-Contra? They would have been the right age to have been there during the time. Right. True. Uh, yeah, and 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 I uh, I know the the history of that area going back to the Iran Iraq War and all that stuff. So I mean, it's been a long simmering thing. But our own domestic zeitgeist really got pumped up in the last 20 years, obviously after 9/11 for good reason. But the fact that the the 
Madani went to her parents, and her parents are the ones who get to save Frank. And they had been talking the whole time about how, even going back to episode one, how they came to the United States, and they've been contributing members of society, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. And how it goes so against the flow of what our popular culture narrative has been to certain regards for a long time. And I thought the, the irony of that was was a bit striking in this scene where it ends up being Madani's parents who believe in America and they believe in everything it stands for. And they, they came here with obviously very, 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 very good intentions. And they get to save somebody who went overseas thinking they had good intentions and ended up doing something that they have to atone for. Yeah. Well, and also this goes into... Um... A kind of, uh, so, you know, are you familiar with the concept of racist exceptionalism? Mm-hmm. Where most people of this race are bad, but you guys are, like, exceptional. You are, you know, a doctor, and, and you, you know what I mean? Like, um, and I feel that that line at the beginning just kind of just spoke to something. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the dad's like, nothing else matters. This man is dying. Right? I am a doctor. This man is dying. Literally nothing else matters at this point. Yeah, right. if, if, I, I thought, I, I guess I, it, I didn't read it that way. It was a little, I felt it was like now listening to you guys talk about it. I feel like it was a little bit too subtle and I didn't, I didn't, it didn't tick my, my gauge and say, oh, wow, that is kind of ironic. I see it now, and I, I, th- I think, wow, they handled that very, very well. Yeah, they did. I mean, it, and I, when I was thinking about it, I was, th- I was thinking back to the stuff that, like, with O'Connor and some of the things that, that Lewis kind of had alluded to when he was overseas and, and, and things like that, where you just, where you start to... And again, I've never served in the military, so I, I don't have that frame of mind to just be able to tap into. But the, the reality of, of once you identify who your enemy is, and the, the word enemy is such a murky, nebulous term at times that you can start, you can't really pick out who your actual verifiable enemy is amongst a crowd of people who either look the same or talk the same or act the same or just fit your own particular biases or or mindset so um for me it was it was just one where looking at this part of it and figuring out okay there is something to be said and taken out of this for for how we've been kind of viewing that for for a long time at least that was and like i said i i admit i took more out of it than i than i know you guys did but for me that was just a very very telling point and i will point out something that uh the way he said it pointedly this uh you know mama madani would have been a educated principled 20 something in iran during the fall of the shah exactly the group that was like hit the hardest by the oppression Mm -hmm. so i think he was saying you did stuff when you were this age 
for the right, you know, doing the right thing instead of the legal thing. I think she might have been the freedom fighter being talked about. Interesting. See, I, th- I, th- I think they could use this narrative thread. Yeah, I mean, and it's just people who believe in a greater good. You know, like Sean's point about, about Madani's father, you know, that's the Hippocratic Oath. It's you do no harm and you help your patient. Because why? You're a doctor. This is who you are. And, and there's something obviously extremely honorable in that. So, um, but yeah, that's a narrative thread that can be carried a whole lot further. And I'd be very curious to see if they do anything remotely like that in season two. And I do like it after Frank is stable and, you know, is walking out, she says, don't misunderstand this, you know, Micro bought you this, but if I see you again, it's a jail cell or a bullet. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. And you converse that with how now you have Frank, who has Micro, he has Madani, and her family obviously helping him out. She's, he has uh, the Liebermans back, and they're safe, and they're sound. So everything that he wants is, has happened. And then you flip that over to Russo, who is alone, he's wounded, and he's got to patch himself up and figure out a way out. And he doesn't have Rollins. He doesn't have Anvil. He is completely and utterly isolated. Yeah, yeah he's getting ready w- to go off-grid. I wanted to- then I have to say, this next sequence with uh, Curtis and Russo is probably my favorite sequence in the entire series. But before we jump to that real quick, though, I did want to mention the, the shootout at Russo's place when the, the red shirts go after him there. The agent red shirts. Oh, that, God. That was, I really thought that was a really important scene because... Up until this point, everything you've seen from from Billy has been about um, his anvil or his his guys or whatever. Yeah, he shot Sam, but you know that was not not to the level of competence that you see in this shootout. I mean, he's he's been sh- he is shown in this scene to be on par with Frank. You know, as far as his ability to just take out agents and and be a be mm-hmm. an agent of chaos. Mm-hmm. And well, and, and he knifed I, I, Sam. He didn't shoot him. Right. And so here you get a, an awesome play of him stepping up and you actually see how good he is. And that makes the fight at the end more believable because now he's, a, he's shown himself to be as skilled as Frank. And I like that sequence up until the slow-mo walk away from the exploding building. With that, you know, the, just yeah, the, bit, 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 the, bit, bit, he may as well have just put on sunglasses and like riffed on an electric guitar for a while at that point. He, he needed a, a CSI-level quote at the end, like a CSI Miami quote. That's what he needed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that was just, I was like, oh, God, you, you, you took something that was cinematically interesting, like visually interesting, and you just and we know, one step it, too that, far. That's, that's got a visual language all its own, and now we see it as, as very kitsch and, and, and rote. Um, it looks cool. But does it? You know, it, it's this. It's like in 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 the other guys. Uh, that's bullshit. My, I have I have soft tissue damage. You know, you can't. It's <laughs> yeah. It's 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 such a bad a bad thing in 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 reality. But visually, it's spectacular. My my favorite one of those ever was uh, remember in uh, the Dark Knight when Joker like yes. blows up the hospital. It's, yeah, he like pushes it a couple times. It doesn't work. He shakes it, and then it goes off, and he's like startled. Yeah. It, but I, I, I get you though. I mean, that was that was good to see. Because to be honest with you, like in a physicality way, Billy, especially when looking at him and Frank together, 
he looks like Johnny Stringbean. Like, really? You're, you look like you're about buck 30 soaking wet at this point. But, you know, they're not fighting with fists. They're fighting with... Right. With the... Uh... Well, who had brought, who brought up the, the Curtis scene with Curtis and the, the snipering and, and Billy? I think Sean had, but yeah, yeah. Prior to that, we get the debrief with Madani and and Raffi and Marion, where you start seeing the groundwork for what Madani does to help Frank out once all this is over. And I thought that was that was worth touching on for just a second because you see where Marion is trying to clean up Rollins' mess, and Madani knows it, and Raffi knows it, and Madani uses that to her advantage. In, in that they're trying to pin everything on Frank and saying that, and Madani saying, well, how did you let Frank go? Why, how, he was a terrorist. He's this, he's that. How could you possibly let him go? And Madani basically calls them both out and says, well, you're either going to help me and you're going to help Frank, or the truth is going to come out and you're not going to want that because you're not going to be able to sweep it under the rug. Homeland making it happen. Yeah. So I think that'll be interesting if they if they bring Madani back for season two, how much of a position of authority that helps gain her. Yeah, I, or I imagine not, it, potentially. Gonna, yeah, I, I think it's going to move her up the ranks for sure. I mean, just in, in the in the the way in which they do things. Yeah, it, she's going to get she's going to get some kudos for that. Actually, I, I I can I have a theory on after we finish talking about the last scene. I do have a theory on Madani in season two. Okay. Mm-hmm. And how but, she'll be uh, the the and like the prime mover, right? But then we jump from there to to when Billy visits Curtis, and I just like how like he wakes up, Curtis wakes up, and just knows. Oh, right. And it's such a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful uh, build up because from minute one. Curtis makes it clear that he has accepted that Billy's in charge here, right? Like, he even asks, like, if it's okay, he puts on his leg, if he may make some coffee, et cetera, et cetera, right? You know, you know what I mean? So, like, being very submissive to Curtis. Right. He's seeing to, him as... To, to, uh, yeah, he's command presence. Yeah. And so, uh, kind of putting um, Billy off his guard, Curtis is doing that. And then... Um, even offering him a cup of coffee, you know, giving him this, the moral lecture that Billy, you know, was expecting, exactly what he would be, have expected to happen, right? And then Curtis opens those curtains. Yeah, just kind of casually opens the curtains, like, this is what I always do in the morning, nothing to see here. Yep. And then he hands Billy the cup, and yep. Billy puts it all together, like, literally a second. Yep. Perfect, you know, perfect placement like, for to hand him the coffee. It was like, you know, lining him up. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I- when was this plan put together? Well, it says something like towards the end, like they are like, I don't know if it was Billy or somebody said something like, like you, you thought, something like you, you planned ahead or like you, you thought how, like they, they kind of realized how, what Billy would think and what he would do. And they kind of like, you know, jumped ahead of him. Because, I mean, we, we imagine Frank has spent several days healing before he walks out of, like, and it makes sense. Curtis is really the last person around who really knows much about Billy at all. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that at some point Curtis is going to uh, be visited. And 
I, well, and I, I liked how the, you get the first question that, that Billy asks him, you know, when he looks at Curtis's face and he asks him, you know, the Wilson kid do that to you? And it, it's, a again, another little bit of foreshadowing to what's going to come later on. I do want to take a second and, and acknowledge the director of this episode, Steven Sergic. He's done a lot of work in a lot of different series that I've seen over the years. I've, I wa- I've managed to be able to watch a lot of Canadian TV going back to the 2000s where he really got his start. And the pacing and the, the way that this scene is constructed from start to finish, I thought was really, really well done on his part. Because he didn't exactly. have to do it that way. Because he's doing the same thing to the audience that Curtis is doing to Billy. Yeah. And, and when there was nothing that gave you the impression that once he hands him the cup and you see all of a sudden Billy's eyes, eyebrows shoot up and he realizes that he's in a whole heap of trouble, that was when I got it. And, yes. and yeah. there are so many different ways a director could have done that scene where you could have had Billy and Curtis having the conversation while Frank is over on the far rooftop setting up and his chambers, gun. Yeah, a chambers you know, chambering around, looking yeah. through the scope. You could have given uh, that away from the from the word go, and and the restraint to not do that, I thought was really really commendable. A, a lesser director would have had a reflective surface in Billy's line of sight, or a red dot that gave it away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, something like that. They would have. You know, we've already seen that other directors were not afraid to use laser scopes on rifles or in this series. So, yeah. you know, they could have had that too. Yeah, I will also mention. He... Go ahead. Oh, I was just say he doesn't even allow him the third shot, like when he uses his uh, knife as as a mirror. He doesn't doesn't allow for it. Yeah, I... yeah, yeah. And, and he can only get it up. Like I mean, he barely gets it up off that windowsill. What, maybe an inch. Yeah, and then if, well, I mean, he was just checking it. to see if Frank was still there or if he had run. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he was expecting that shot. Like that would have told him if Frank was still there, or if he could move or something. Um, I did like. Uh, I'm taking this kind of personal. <laughs> you know how Billy said that? Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and this this and, this also had the flashback scene uh, that actually worked for me. You know, I wasn't a fan of the the previous ones, but the one where you kind of get a little bit of Billy and the family interacting. Um, yeah, that I, I thought that actually helped this scene, whereas the other one took me out. So I, I do want to call that where we talk about the director that this actual flashback worked for me. I did like that. I liked that a lot. And then Billy's "fuck you" salute to Frank. At- oh. <laughs> Man, that was messed up. I only caught that on the third rewatch. <clears throat> yeah, I, I, yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't expecting that at all. I, I, it, and all of a sudden, I was like, "Holy smokes, he's saluting him!" Yeah, and, and how Billy had the presence of mind to tell Frank, "All right, well, you know, I'll, I'll come out, but I want to hear the cartridge eject, and I want to hear the magazine eject. Once I hear that, then." Then we'll go. But even when he's under fire, Billy's smart enough to understand that as long as he is, that brick wall is only going to last for so long. And if he wants to, to end it with Frank, then okay. But he's still going to make Frank not have what he wants right away. Well, and also, Billy knows that they saw him coming. So for all he knows is the door is wired with explosives. Like, he needs to... You know what I mean? Like, 
he has no idea what other measures may have been taken. He needs to know. Mm-hmm. Right, because right, if, if he's missed this, what else, what else does he have, have going? Right. And then when he gives Curtis's phone back and says, call an ambulance, you know, I'm not the only, Frank isn't the only one who doesn't value his word anymore or something to that effect. I thought that yeah, was, like the, that, yeah, that, it's, was it's, that was a good one too. Yeah, it's like with all this, there's still that that like the, the honor, the the duty, the respect. Even though it's getting warped at this point, but there's still that that core of, you know, okay, you know, you, 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 you said you won't shoot me. You, you took the bullets out of the gun. I believe you. Okay, I'm gonna stand up now. I'm not gonna shoot Curtis. Like I said, I wasn't. You know, I'm gonna leave, and we're gonna deal with this mano a mano later. And yeah, it's just really. It. Yeah. Yeah, it, there's this like this baseline honor system that you that that we're allowed to have, um, but we are at war with each other, and you know to your point because I knew you were getting there, which is all right. We're gonna meet at kid at midnight at the carousel. Da, 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 da. That's that's one of those moments where it I, I was a little pissed. Well, just, but it was yeah. it was foreshadowed by the Billy the Kid thing to me with the the shootout at high noon, shootout at midnight. Billy the Kid reference. Oh, so. see, okay, okay, okay. Uh, well, that I, I, I that and um, that and how Frank points out that Billy the Kid was betrayed by his friends for money and fame. Yep. And also, they point out that Billy's a bullshitter. Like he gets ca- called on it by the kid. Yeah, which for a second I was like, wait a minute, what's Leo doing there? Oh, wait, that's not Leo. <laughs> I did the same thing. I had to look up the name. <laughs> uh huh. Speaking of Leo, because then we have to jump back to to the Liebermans and uh, getting um, reacquainted. Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, and that totally I, psyched I, me I, out, by the way, because I was really expecting her to just lay into him. I was not expecting that. <laughs> well, well I she does in a manner of speaking. <laughs> yeah, okay, that, fair point. Fair yeah. point. That this at this point, that beard is a choice. <laughs> yes, and it a is. bad one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we all have our comfort zones. That's right. Yeah, I you know I I thought it was it was good that that scene. Gosh, you know sometimes I think some things get a little bit overboard, but I think that be that was a slightly maybe a bit of a filler, but I can see where it it fits into the whole scheme. I if it got dropped, I would be okay with it. But it didn't, uh, and I'm 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 okay. I'm still okay with it. I, I, mean, I just letting you know that they'll be okay. Like, yes. That's... Yeah, and and I think if that had, if they had put this at the end, not not before Thanksgiving, but if that had been something that had come up after the whole thing at the carousel, where you start seeing Micro, as he said, readjusting to his life. I would have been a, I would have been a lot happier with it there, but you think about the level of unadulterated trauma this family has gone through, even in the last twenty four hours. Yes, and all of a sudden you you are playing go fish and and having uh, relations in the bathroom, and it's like, wait a minute, we've skipped some levels here. Yeah, um, actually, I, no, yeah. no, I I actually agree because um, I actually think that was exactly what like what would happen because. It takes a while for that trauma to set in. You're just basically coming down off the high, and you're trying to like be normal. Mm. True. Mm-hmm. Like, it takes a while for that pain to set in. Mm-hmm. We also don't have the straight timeline of how long Frank was recuperating from the beginning of the episode either. So, right. But yeah, I I, I think if 
if they had found a, a place a little bit later on to put that in, I think it, it wouldn't feel as, as forced as it does. I think they did t- kind of figure out, okay, we, we have to kind of crowbar this in somewhere. So let's put this in. And, and I do like it. It's not a long scene, but yeah. It's not as bad as when uh, Madani was having sex with Rollins right after getting like her with ribs Ra- shattered. You mean or, Russo? Russo, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> that was a bad visual. Thank you for that. <laughs> that milky eye. Um. Although speaking of Madani, we have to get we have to get to her too because she's finishing up stuff too. Quite so, true. Because we. Because now we've got to get her to the point where she ends up uh, being with Frank at the carousel. Well, yeah, and uh, I mean, we kind of covered that fight, so I don't, I don't think we right. need to go too much into it. Because it's interesting, I will point out that uh, a nice little visual thing, did you notice that they were both carrying the rifles they carried in Afghanistan? Or at least the same models? No, I, I uh-uh. didn't. Yeah, one of them had a G36, and one of them had a uh, 416, H- both HKs, which were what they carried when they were spec ops in the Marines. You know, ah. it's funny because they brought that visual up when Frank was getting, when he was by the by the barrel overnight, and he was thinking about Billy as, you know, as the guy next to him. And so, ah, that's, gr- that's a great callback. Right. Well, and, and Sean being the gun nut, he, he would have obviously caught that. So, um... Yeah, the only thing that I will bring up about the carousel fight, because like you said, we, we've pretty much covered that one pretty well, was the only two things that, that bothered me about it were the cotton candy kids yeah, tied stakes. to the horses. Yeah. Yep. Is that real? That's, those stakes seem really uh, flimsy. Well, yeah, because it would have been one thing if they were just tied there, but they were tied there and they, they had had their wrists slashed. And with the amount of time it took for that scene to start and that scene to end, those kids wouldn't have been screaming through the whole thing because they would have been out in about, in a lot less time. See, it, well, so, notice they had their wrists tied and elevated. So I kind of gave them a little bit. Yeah, that, of... that was the only thing where I was kind of like, okay, uh, that, that would have been the, the one rationalization I could come up with. But that was one thing that I thought was a bit unnecessary. Not that he didn't have hostages, but that they were there and they were at the potential of, of basically bleeding out. And then once they get to the point where the rifles are down and Frank ends up dropping his gun, why didn't Billy just headshot him? I was like, you're right there. Instead, you're monologuing. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, that took me out of it. It's like you have him point blank, dead to rights. He's already wounded because you caught him in the leg. You could have just shot old, him right there. Yep. Age old villain problem. Yep. Yeah. You, you you caught, I've got, I've got the upper hand, so, so I'm going to just, you know, say my last piece and then, then put you down. Oh, darn. It didn't work out that mm-hmm. way, you know. Right. And I, I, uh, thought for, I thought for sure for like a couple of seconds that maybe they did kill Madani. I'm like, no, they couldn't have. Yeah. You know, I, the, the, I, the, 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 the way she got hit and just dropped and didn't move. I'm like, exactly. Yep, yep. I was sure of that, too. I was like, as soon as she went down, I was like, oh, damn. Yeah. Especially when he hey, was cradling her head in his lap. I actually thought she was a goner right then, but. Because yeah, she, she still wasn't even blood. moving or, or twitching or anything. Yeah, I was like, oh, wow. They, I mean, that'd be a nice, not a nice twist, but that'd be a, another one of those twists you're not going to expect it. But I'm like, no, they can't. She's too important yeah. to like his wrap up and his, you know, all that. I'm like, no, they can't do that. Yeah, like but, I mean, almost you, been a Luther. Been... Yeah, where characters are getting clipped and you're like, whoa, 
are you serious? He's not going to continue? Yeah, and I've I've having watched Luther along with you there, Mose. Yeah, that's brutal. So, I, I yeah, the, the stakes, the stakes of this situation were just just super flimsy, and that and that's where I had I take issue with the finale. And this is where I've seen other finales flounder. Is that like you do so well for for some for for twelve episodes? And then you start getting flimsy and and just brittle. And but I I'm okay with the kind of the denouement and that, you know, a, you know, afterwards, you know, you kind of have Frank becoming Frank fully and outside of uh of normal life. And but but it that that is just I, I just didn't like it. I you know, I just didn't like it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I could, I could see that, but also it's kind of interesting where you know th- that's kind of where it all started for Frank becoming the Punisher and taking him down yes. this path, and that's sure. kind of where it all ended. Yeah, in theory, quote unquote. Yeah, you know, he's he's not the Punisher anymore until you know season two, but at least this kind of like you know it's kind of like a, like a, it is a full wrap up. You know, it started started here and ended here. Right, and the symmetry of that is is something I was fine with, but conversely, if it had it just been him and Billy at the carousel doing like a tactical sort of of shootout and and fight and all that stuff that ended the same way i'd have been fine with it it was that they brought in another element that didn't need to be there yeah and and i think that that made it not as effective as it could have been for me i think i actually thought it made sense because um he needed a guarantee that frank wouldn't have just sniped him or have rigged the place to blow or just have rigged himself to blow up or something and billy's sneaky yeah, and he's kind of kind of a coward in in some ways, and so it, and, yeah, yeah, and an opportunist. Right. Yeah. Like he 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 walked in on those kids. It's not like he brought them with him. And he's like, I can I can use you, right? Well, yeah, and Billy, Billy is sneaky, but I think at that point, I mean, and Frank had tried to, to snipe him at Curtis's place, but when you get to the point where it's going to be him and Billy, and they know what's coming, I don't think at that point at that point Frank even would have considered doing it any other way than with his own two hands, just like he did with Rollins. So I, I again, I think it, it could have been constructed better. Yeah. Cause he's already made it clear. He didn't think much of bombs. So yeah, quite true. And I mean, well, he could have just had backup for all mm-hmm. Billy knew. He- well, and, and even when he took that, it was like, he took a grenade launcher out. I was like, wait a minute, where did you even have that? So, but uh, but no. When you you get to the the, I'm with you, Mo's and the, the the denouement. I thought was a bit stronger than than the the final fight was, because it ties up all the loose ends that we need to tie up pretty well. Um, starting with Madani, who again, <laughs> her her not looking well after she's in an accident. I mean, her eyes are all puffed up and black, and she's not doing not looking so hot. But she's looking a heck of a lot better than Billy does. So. Enter my theory on where season two is going to go. Okay. So, um, uh, the two powers that be people who gave Pete, or uh, who gave Frank, you know, his new life, basically, right? Um, they made it clear that they would have rather killed him, and um, that Madani, uh, they couldn't just disappear Madani. She's too public. She's too connected. She's too important right now because of the events, right? 
Okay. Um, although a year passes, her publicity is cooled, her central prominence cools. Now maybe they're thinking they need to tie up those loose ends. Which would be interesting because one of the people that signed off on it was Raffi, who's been her mentor. Yeah. Oh. So my point... So I'm thinking that in season two, it starts with someone taking a hit out on Madani and Madani turning to Frank as the only person she can trust. Because if she sees him again, she's going to get him. She says, she says mm-hmm. that directly. So she's gonna, we have to get her to flip on that. Yeah, yeah. so I think that they, they, they realize enough time has passed and maybe now they can just kill Frank and Madani. Okay. Do, and does Frank Where? stay in New York? I don't know, but if Madani's involved, he, it gives an excuse to bring Micro back into it, too. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I would think that for season two, if anything, they will have to give him a reason to bring, if he does leave, to bring him back. Which. Well, they'd got, go after you, Micro, too. Yeah, but you've got the two angles now with Madani and Russo. So it would either be Madani would give him reason to come back, or Russo would give him reason to come back. Yeah, and I can just see the scene where Madani tracks down Karen who knows where Frank is and like Frank like Frank's out in the bayou somewhere and yep. enter a third and angle I can just see that scene in my mind the only reason I asked about is Frank still in New York is uh, again with Frank at the at Curtis's group I don't know how I feel about that on one level um it gives it gives me hope for Frank, but at the same time, does and Frank needs a group, but can Frank actually be a part of that group? That's that's where I, I was just very torn. Yeah, I kind of saw that as padding for the if they don't get a second <clears throat> season, you know, he's got an out. Yeah, okay, yeah, they can throw that out when they yeah, start but- the second season. But yeah, you kind of think like you know he's in a group of other people, and you know obviously his face has been plastered all over. Exactly. And it's like no one's gonna be like, "Hey, you know, I was in this group, and so was the Punisher." You know, yeah. Frank Castle's in my in my support group. What do you think well, about that? This is Curtis, this is a group of yeah. Curtis uh, makes it very clear: we keep each other secrets. That's the only way this works. Right. Right. And there's a bunch of other soldiers there who are all damaged. They've all been a bunch of other damaged soldiers. Um. Again, I keep going back to the comic, but in the Valley Forge issue, which legit made me cry, um, they get the testimony of another soldier who knew Frank in Vietnam, and he says, man, after what we've seen, I don't judge him. I don't judge him at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see, like, if, if Frank's in the group opening up about what happened and, you know, why he did what he did, whatever, I, people would be like, yeah, okay, I got that, no problem, I'm not going to rat you out. I, I, I can headcanon that away, that, that, you know. But for yeah, the first I, part, I'm like, I'm like, whoa, maybe, no, okay, I get it, yeah. And you also have to keep in mind, these are the same guys, potentially, who knew Lewis. And they knew O'Connor. And they know what happened with them. And they knew Billy. Yeah, and they knew Billy, because Billy helped fund it. So they have, there is, if you want a head candidate, there is reason there for these guys to want to shield Frank. There's also no guarantee, they've left it open-ended enough that there's no guarantee that Frank is going to stay and keep going to group. But it may have just been a one-time thing for him to at Curtis's insistence of, you know, you're here. At least try it once, see if that fits for you. And it might and not. A, and a core part of the Punisher mythos, like why he 
why he functions is that like it's pretty common that a lot of like police and grunts like the actual soldiers on the ground are kind of okay with him and give him a little bit of leeway to operate that's yeah. always been kind of a part of the story oh going back real quick uh when micro gives him the money uh remember he gives him like a big sack of cash well he gives oh, him an envelope of it yeah right yeah. right right and my, he's like you had this all along and you made us live in that shithole yeah, yeah, that was never really quite. Was he doing cryptocurrency or what's the deal here? No, he said he so stole like it from he, bad people. Yeah, he oh, stole that's from bad right. People. Okay, that's right. He said basically he he appropriated from other bad people and just put. He basically was like a, maybe a little bit of his rainy day fund or whatever, and he gave some of it to Frank. Yeah, I mean, for all we know, I mean, Rollins had a lot of off book resources. Well, and Micro being a hacker, it wouldn't be, be hard for him to, to find other stuff, but the the most telling thing out of this scene for me was the, the last line that Frank says. For the first time, I don't know, and as far as I can remember, I don't have a war to fight, and I'm scared. Yeah. And, yeah. and for, for anybody who has ever, ever been through a traumatic event at all, you are so... Your mindset and your functionality is so centered around that and just dealing with it every day. And once you get to a point where that is no longer a burden for you or not something you have to focus on and and really have to be the center of your existence every day, that is a terrifying thing. It really is. Because then you have to sit there and come to the rational conclusion of, okay, well, if I don't if I'm not this, then who the heck am I? And that loss of identity when you don't have to be the Punisher anymore and you can be who you should have been or could have been under different circumstances, trying to shift into that and evolve into that personality is a genuinely scary thing to do. So what I'll be curious about seeing with with season two is how Frank is coping with that. Um, Yeah, and one thing I really liked about the ending, um, because... I knew that, you know, he's a hero, he's not gonna he's not gonna end up in jail. We already did that with Luke Cage, right? So they weren't gonna do it again. Um I was afraid that he would get a past that kind of left him on good terms with like the police or the basically like a punisher signal being created or something, you uh, know? Ah, gotcha, yeah. And I did like how it's like, we're letting you live primarily because we have to, because we would much prefer you be dead. Right, it, it, it would conclude this whole this whole uh, unsightly um, history that that the CIA and and these and covert ops did. Yeah, so I mean, I kind of I thought it ended pretty much in the only way that makes sense with the Punisher still being alive. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. Uh, I. I guess I don't, you know, you, you get so invested in, in these, it's like, I don't know how to end it. And like, and especially not knowing as, as they probably did, is this even going to get, you know, opened up for a season two and, and, to, and to not know where, 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 where the next story would go. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think it, if I judge it all as, as one, one combined series, you know, it gets an A for me. I mean, and and it and it does what it needs to do. I really want to get it on Blu-ray. 
So do we want to like do our, our ranking of where this fits into the whole Marvel Netflix hierarchy? All right, do it. You've already said it. All right. I was kind of going back and forth. I, I think still, be like Daredevil season one is still the best. Uh, but I would, I was flipping back and forth. I, I was going to put Jessica Jones second and this third, but I, I don't know. It might either be a tie at this point, or I might even put Punisher above Jessica Jones. For me, for me, Jessica Jones is hands down number one. Um, these uh, Daredevil season one and Punisher. Tie for number two, then Luke Cage, Daredevil season two, Defenders, and way down at the bottom, Iron Fist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with that ranking with everything after mine. Yeah, well, I'll be the oddball, and then I'll throw this in at number two with Daredevil season one being first, and then Defenders was third for me. So, yeah, and I, I, I'm on the Jessica Jones number one boat. I think the psychological aspects of that just was they they pitched right in my wheelhouse with that. But then you have. Um, then you have Daredevil season one. I would put, I actually really liked Luke Cage season one. Um, I would put that in Punisher three, a three B and then down the rest of the list with iron fist at the bottom. I I will say Jessica Jones is number one for me. If only for David Tennant. I mean, okay. I kind of wanted his Jessica to be my ringtone for a while because it was just so well done. Oh no, he, he was what they did with him and what they could have done so much badly. Yeah. The, Kilgrave is one of the best villains to come out of any TV series I've seen in the last five, 10 years. It was so okay, well done. So, so you've all convinced me that I need to watch Jessica Jones. Cause I, I, I got through, I think first three or four and, and, and pulled back. And I think that my own, um, history with daredevil jades me slightly i'm willing to uh, acknowledge that it possibly jades me to to put it in at number one however and not having seen it for a couple of years now it it's it's hard for me to 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 keep it in in a ranking system because i think potentially punisher right now is my number one and that's really hard for me to say uh i i could try to tie them up um but i think I think on an emotional level, I think and 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 narratively, there's there was very little fat and very very it it was all in 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 the words of Frank, it's all good shit. Good shit's gonna happen. Yeah, um, I, and, and most I can't recommend Jessica Jones highly enough. And yeah. because David Tennant doesn't show up until like episode three or four, that's like, the I'm missing it. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I, I, that, and I'm I'm gonna make a promise to everybody. That I'm gonna go ahead and watch it because I feel like um, I'm somewhat crippled in conversations. Whenever this comes up, and I feel like if I if I if I haven't watched it, I'm a toxic male, and so I have to I have to go ahead and do it, and so that I have enough ammunition and and that I can that I can make a well conceived argument. I'm yeah, right there definitely. with you, Mose, because I haven't even started Jessica Jones or Luke Cage yet, so Give I haven't been able to bring myself to do it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's got like a little lull, but otherwise, I mean, if you can get past that, I mean, it is, it is a solid, you know, like mind bleepery. It, it's a good, you know, good, good psychological kind of show. Yeah, okay. it totally is. And, and definitely give it an honest watch. And, and I, will give, I will give Jessica Jones the same conclusion I give every Netflix show and pretty much every piece of media I consume nowadays. 
it's not perfect. And we are looking for perfection in everything that we're consuming nowadays in terms of media. And if you even step a toe out of line of what you think your ultimate idea of a series or a movie is, then it's failed horribly. Right. It doesn't do that. You know, Last Jedi wasn't that way. It's not perfect, but I still liked it. Punisher is not perfect. I still really liked it. Jessica Jones is, again, it ticks all my particular boxes, but it's not perfect. And that's okay. I'm fine with that. It it just depends on what level of that are you willing to tolerate and, and how much is that going to dis, dis, uh, detract from your enjoyment of a series. I think if you yeah. give it an honest watch all the way through, Moe's, I think you will like it. Well, and ultimately, I have to practice what I preach. If 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 I'm going to say, hey, you need to watch Punisher, well, have you watched Jessica Jones? I don't know. Uh, okay, so that's and why I got to do it. I will also say that I really do view Punisher mm. and Jessica Jones as two kind of sides of the same coin. They both really deal with trauma and recovery from it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Also, D- Jessica Jones introduces a villain who is not the main one, who I'm certain is going to cross paths with the Punisher. What, Nuke? Ooh. Yeah, Nuke. Yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. From like, no Armageddon in the comics? Yep. Yeah. The, the guy with the, uh, the American flag on his face? Yep, who's always taking the red pill and the blue pill. Yep. The, you know. No way. Hence why I mentioned earlier, red pill, blue pill. Yep. Yep. So if anything, Moe's, yeah, you have to at least watch up through like episode 10 or 11 of Jessica Jones to, <laughs> to get to that point. <laughs> Damn no, it, well, that's and awesome. Then, and then watch all 13 because it's Yeah, it's just, just because now you've already watched almost all of them. So yeah, finish it out. Yep. <laughs> I'll be very curious to see what your reaction to that is, Moe's. I'll be, I'll be pay, keeping an eye on the slack for that. Uh, now I'm excited because I had no idea they were bringing Nuke in. Mm-hmm. Oh, that guy was... Oh, boy. Okay. I remember, I remember those, 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 those frames where Daredevil's push, trying to pop his eyes and like going, going for anything soft. Uh, I remember that. Uh, I want to bring my comics out now. Uh, you got me all excited. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's a bit different than the actual character, obviously, because they have to do with what they do. But yeah, it's, you'll, you'll like it. Okay. Yeah, yeah small, small spoiler, there is no American flag on his face, but you'll be okay. All right. Uh, I mean, he, he next time you see it, he very well may have it. Like, he's, he's right there. Yeah, it's going to happen. It has to. That's, that's, that's only acceptable. Um, gents, this has been, we, we, you know, we've, we've gone through this, and this has kind of been our own little uh, Curtis's group. And I really, really appreciate you sticking in here. And I know because we, we had a big, long gap in here, and it's, it's, it takes time. And we, look. Guys, we talked for almost two hours, two and a half hours. And so I, I appreciate you taking time out of your days uh, and weekends to do this because I know it can be uh, arduous, but also fun because we get to talk about, you know, cool shit. But um, I really appreciate you uh, sticking in and, and being here for this. Sure. Thanks for giving us the opportunity. Really appreciate you it. You got it. Yeah, absolutely, Moz. I mean, how we as as loyal and comparable listeners, how often do we get a chance to to be part of the ship? And sometimes we kind of felt like inmates running the asylum. But hey, we got to talk about something we like to do, and and we had to be part of the gang now, and that's always fun. Yeah, that's always a great experience. Well, I'm glad you had a good experience with it, and who knows what may what the future may hold with this? We don't know, but it seems as though there's been enough. Uh, 
little outpouring that maybe we find something else to do down the road. But we may have to do a Jessica Jones Redux. Wow. You know, that would be kind of interesting, the Punisher fans. Because I know they already did a Jessica Jones podcast, but Mm -hmm. the Punisher fans, that perspective might be interesting, yeah. Yeah, so I will put that out. If if you have an interest in this, uh, we'll talk about it and get some feedback from... You know, Twitter and the Slacks and whatnot, and and see what maybe membership would like. Maybe making it only a members-only feed. Who knows? We could see. It could be interesting. But finally, I want to say thank you, and I want to thank Sean Shibley, Eric Scott, Jason Johnson, and Devin Higgins for joining the War Journal on this wild-ass ride and making it something that I'm very proud of.